Hi, and welcome back to Kessel Run Relay, a Star Wars podcast. Our episodes drop at the beginning of each week, and you can find us on social media. Our links will be in in the description. This week, we have a special episode for May the 4th, where we will be discussing some of our favorite Star Wars things. But before we get into that, uh, hi, I'm Emily. You can find me on TikTok at StardustM and on Twitter and Instagram at underscore StardustM. I use she, her pronouns. And my brainworm of the week is so Just true. Posted. Sorry. So true, Alden. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Alden just made an Instagram <laughs> He is so... Listen, I'm not a fan of the mustache, but my fucking God, does he look good? He always looks good, no matter what. Anyways, sorry, Emily. <laughs> um, Important interruption. Anyway, my brainwave of the week is Phil Dunster, aka Jamie Tart, as Maul in the Kira and Maul show. The only way that I will ever accept the Kira Maul story. And I don't care if, if we already have a live action Maul and an animated Maul. I believe so that he should play Maul from now on. <laughs> so true uh, of him, actually. And I guess my second brainwave of the week, based on. I, with the fact that we're the first 10 people to like is post. <laughs> not. Um, <laughs> is uh, Alden Han Solo post Return of the Jedi with a mustache. So true. Oh my god, no, with it's the, the, the Battlefront 2 beard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of like the dad stash for him. Yeah, I know. I think he... the. The scruff. The scruff. Yeah, but that, I that think, works. I, I do think that Han would grow out a mustache for fun. Just like, to spite Leia. Leia. Him, I think, him yeah. with the beard? Like that? Mm. He looks fucking good. It's yeah. his directorial debut. So He's true. So fine. I'm sorry. Anyways. Sorry about it. It's a statement of fact. Yeah. <laughs> Alden, we miss you. <laughs> Please, Please go come back. back. Please. <laughs> Same brain. <laughs> the, ki- the kids miss you, Alden. <laughs> Your sister wives miss you. <laughs> sister wives miss you. Alden, come on the podcast. <laughs> we'll be like so nice to you. We'll be, be so nice to you. We love you. <laughs> You'll probably be actually really freaked out. <laughs> I have him on my phone case. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um. Liv, do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> sure. Hi, I'm Liv. I use she, her pronouns. You can find me everywhere at Olympia Madala. Um, my brain worm of the week is the absolute clusterfuck. That is the Quest of the Jedi release. Oh, <laughs> my fucking God. <laughs> so what happened in the UK that people were like, I just can't get it? <laughs> yeah, no, Dark no Horse idea. just like doesn't distribute to the UK. Or if they do, it's like a month delay. It's insane. Well, I think (laughs) Belle was saying that like you could order it before and now that option just isn't there. Yeah. Sick. That's really great. The thing about Quest of the Jedi is that this has been announced. Announced! Which means it was probably in the workings for six months before this point. It was officially announced at the end of the High Republic Volume One, at the yeah, end like of the I, like, I thought it was 
like it was a, it was a part of phase two since the beginning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was supposed to be the first thing that came out with phase two. It was supposed to literally kick off phase two. So this shit has been delayed for 14 or it has been announced for 14 months at this point by the time it came out last week. So it was originally supposed to come out in the at the end of the book. It said coming fall 2022. Fall 2022 comes and pat comes and goes. It keeps getting delayed first, like by a couple days and a couple weeks, then months, months and months and months and months and months. And um, then finally, it was supposed to come out. I think the first week of April with celebration, and then they bumped it back to the 28th. And I think the funniest part about everything is that when I was when it was like finally announced to be coming out on the 28th. I was like, something's going to happen. I was waiting for the other (laughs) shoe to drop. And And then then it did. Tuesday, Tuesday, Mike Siglain, the director of Lucasfilm Publishing, put out a tweet that said, oh, there's there's a continuity error. So we're, (laughs) they basically, yeah, there's a continuity error between Path of Deceit and Quest of the Jedi. And he basically- Because uh, uh, at the beginning, they- are um, putting Kefmo and, and um, his I masters. Remember. I think it's Zala. Which yeah, they can't the, do because the Marta has because Marta has Kefmo's saber. Yeah, so they were putting and, that in yeah. the Kyber Arch, but then, they don't have Zala's either. Not to spoil Path of, of Vengeance, but no, but I they also think, don't have. I was Zala's. like, I don't think they anything mentioned like any Jedi getting no. them at the end because mm-hmm. I remember that one Jedi at the end of Path of Deceit like came and was like, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, oh, they no. found their bodies, but bodies. <laughs> yeah. So the the error first came out when the Quest of the Jedi preview first came out, and people were like, "Wait a fucking second, that can't that, happen. That, that, right. that shouldn't be happening <laughs> because possible. they don't have the, the Kyber crystals." So basically, in a PR, not a PR, but like uh, Mike Siglain basically went, "Hey, we f- fucked up. Uh, the digital yeah. version will be right, and the trade." paperback version will be right as well but here you go the single issue so technically it made like the the physical issue a misprint which then forced scalpers to rise the price by like 400 percent. i saw issues going for 30 dollars. i saw issues going for 50 dollars. i saw variants going for 75 dollars because that single announcement turned the entire book into a misprint and not only that there was an entire scene where there's another continuity error yeah there's another continuity error where at one point it's it's much smaller but like but like this shit has been in development for probably two years at this point so why are we still having continuity errors as small as this so basically there's the queen or like the ruler in the middle and then Barnum's Vim and then his Padawan on either side. And then all of a sudden in another panel, they're like sitting next to each other on one side of the ruler. And then it just like stays that way for the rest of the issue or like the however long that <laughs> the rest of the scene. Yeah. Yeah. So oh that's fun. God. Yeah. Literally while I was in the comic book store, the owner was like, you know, this is going for $50 on the internet right now. And I was like, I did not. 
but <laughs> thank yeah, you for pulling it for me. Yeah, <laughs> I have, have the day it. off or something. <laughs> like, what's up? No, this is Dark Horse. This is all Dark Horse. Oh, yeah, like, this is no, Dark but, Horse. But, but I thought Pablo was like, I mean, I thought that that was just like, he is their, the canon guy. Oh, Pablo. I thought you said Pablo Hidalgo for some no, reason. <laughs> Pablo Hidalgo. Sorry, I was thinking of just like Pablo's job of, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he he was he was um he was feeling sleepy when he had to review that comic, I think. <laughs> why don't you just why don't you just call Justine and Tessa up? <laughs> <laughs> I had to tell the bestie, I was like these are going for like $50. So just to let you know, and he was like, yeah, we're only limiting them to one a person. So I had to explain <laughs> the whole fiasco to him. Oh my God. And he was like, um, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I mean, Dark Horse, love you. Love your work. Get your shit together. And get it together. Exactly. This project was cursed for like a thousand years by a witch, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> some, Anyways. High, some author got rejected from writing the high republic and <laughs> it got a voodoo doll out of dark horse <laughs> anyways hayden would you like to introduce yourself absolutely um hi my name is hayden i use she her pronouns you can find me on tiktok at taika.ytd and on twitter and instagram at mcuytd and my brainworm of the week is the Han Leia rescue scene from Return of the Jedi, but it's balance. Yeah, will... I, I I did lean over to my friend yesterday and whisper, "Valance." After after Leia says, "Someone who loves you." <laughs> so true. Because okay, so when the the um the Return of the Jedi covers were first announced, I forget who edited it, but someone it was. Put... I think it was Jacob. I. If it's it was usually Jacob, Jacob. It's usually put, Jacob. <laughs> Jacob is an enabler. He put Valance's face. In the best face, way possible. He put Valance's face over Leia's on the cover where Leia rescues Han from Jabba's palace. <laughs> Ethan saw it and he liked it. <laughs> and I think he replied with like a cannon gif and then slammed the gavel. So, I mean... And then also... I forget who pointed it out, but in the preview for Bounty Hunters, what is it, 34, 35? Did it come out yet? No, the like the two pages that they released. It must, it must have been 35 or 36 then because it wasn't Paolo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still very sad about that. And I did tear up thinking about it the other day. But someone pointed out that the place it looked like that issue was taking place in was Jabba's palace. So if Valance goes to rescue Han, but can't and gets captured again, I don't know what I'll do. Stop. Just I, stop. I will do something drastic. You don't understand. That's how that art Liv found is actually canon. Which what one? That Boba Fett art with the oh, like, Valance's head no, in the no. back. It wasn't balance. It was actually the Terminator. I oh yeah, it. whatever. It was actually the Terminator. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, that art is very cursed, and I don't want to see that ever again. Fanboy perception of Boba is something so cursed. <laughs> like I, Boba, book of Boba Fett, 
has its downfalls, as we've discussed before, but its characterization of Boba is it's not perfect. one of them. Yeah. It is perfect. Mm-hmm. And anybody he, who says that he was depowered or no. made lame clearly does not understand Boba he, Fett. Like, okay, so for reference, this picture that we're talking about, I found it on Etsy. Oh, it God. was like a welcome to my man cave kind of thing. And it had <laughs> um, Boba sitting I'm on the I'm going to get it for you guys when... for your, like, no. first apartment. <laughs> no. Uh, had, okay, it had Boba on the throne. There was, like, a half-naked Twi'lek on him. And then there was, like, a... a it looked like Ahsoka. It looked like it was Ahsoka. The, the slave Leia outfit. And it just, there was a lot going on in the background as well, but like it was. Including a, a decapitated balance head. <laughs> so it was the Terminator. But it had, it had like um, the, the golden idol from Indiana Jones. They had like a, a rocketeer head. I don't know why, but like a whole bunch of like different pop culture artifacts in the background. But anyways, it was like a gross, like pinup poster basically of this male power fantasy Boba, which that honestly, that is Boba respects women. I hated Boba for the longest time, not because of him, but But because because of of what the fans made him out to be, which is so far from the truth. Like, even if you read Legends, we have like Catholic Boba Fett, the one where he refuses (laughs) to touch Leia because he's against premarital sex, but like, even (laughs) in canon. I feel like he's he's more of a slut, but he's not. He respects he's, women. He respects you know? women. Like Fedek Shan would not be his right hand no. man if he did not respect women. We can no. only be you thankful can, that they didn't drag Fedek Shan into yeah. that whole art Listen, situation. Yeah. You can you can you can trust a man based on how many lesbian friends he has, and <laughs> Fedek being his bestie that that's very good. That's for a Boba. green flag. That's a that's a huge green flag for him. So true of him. Anyways, that's my tangent. I I enjoy scrolling through Etsy once in a while to see yeah the different things that can be found. Um, <laughs> it's very eye opening. So true. There is no Valance merch besides what Ephraim has made and what Ella has made. <laughs> and then like that one very tiny 3d print <laughs> yes of the bounty hunters logo no the, oh, the no, little, the little figure oh, that i got you guy. yeah 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 because yeah, even the, the custom legos that i got the two of you are not etsy they're like on his the guy's like own site <laughs> yeah you have to go digging to find mm-hmm. any balance merch especially because um that's what the the fucking curtain thingies are called called as well so if you <laughs> google balance, balances you just, yeah, like you just said, get curtains my mom was uh was looking at new curtains for my room and she mentioned do you want like a balance <laughs> <laughs> that's like later oh my god when i used to work at thrift store in like the the bed and bath section there was like the curtains and stuff and there was a special like little yeah. section divider that said balance you should have and stolen I, it. I, I was literally just about to say it. I should have <laughs> stolen it for you. Like the the my last day that I worked. But I Damn didn't. it, Liv. I'm too good of a I'm a too goody two shoes. That's oh, so that's cute. cute. Little Star Wars washi tape. Yeah, my my May the fourth 
Uh, Lame. Mine is on the ground. Yep. I don't pick anything <laughs> up. Uh, I guess that's what happened this week. <laughs> yeah. Not much happened other than the Quest of the Jedi fiasco. Which will still go um, in, go down in history as one of the funniest fucking things to ever happen in the Star so Wars funny. fandom. Also, Jedi Survivor came out, but I don't, oh, I don't shit. think any of us oh, are playing it. I cannot now. play it because I don't have a PS5. I'm so not playing either. it because I Am can't I... play video games at all. I so. also still have not played. I have Fallen Order, but I haven't played it. <laughs> so. play it. It's really fun. But well, I also I, don't. I also can't play it because my sisters took the Xbox oh. <laughs> <laughs> this summer. I have so many words muted, and somehow some motherfuckers are still spoiling stuff. Who's watching? <clears throat> Apparently, I'm not even going to get into that because it make it makes my blood pressure go up and it gives me a headache. But. Tag your goddamn spoilers, please. And it's not like I'm well, not trying. You have no idea how many words I have muted. Mm-hmm. I also saw, like, my friends, like, uh, T and Savvy were talking about how they got spoiled on Wednesday. Like, Appar- the yeah. news, like, Asai had posted it before the game even came oh out <laughs> about, like, a spoiler for it. And, like, didn't tag it at all. Just do better, so, y'all. Put the sensitivity mark over your pictures. If you want to yeah. yell about it, do a little notes app, write up, screenshot it, and then mark it as sensitive. Like, like it's really, it's not that hard. Yeah. I couldn't tweet out, so I made a note of it. And yeah. then most of it was, don't go to Donna, don't make unnecessary journeys, don't risk <laughs> on treacherous roads. <laughs> I mean, I've been looking at all the spoilers because I don't care. Same. <laughs> as someone who's For other people, as someone whose root back into all this shit was fallen, was playing Fallen Order when I was waiting to graduate from high school and literally changed my life. If you spoil Survivor for me. I'm sending every negative thought your way. Yeah. That is what I will say about that. It looks like a great game, though. It does. It looks like it slays, and it looks like the gameplay is a lot more advanced than Fallen Order, which, like, I, I don't mind because I am i don't play video games very much, so I really liked, like, the simple mechanics of Fallen Order. And there's not, like, that many, like, battle moves and stuff like that, which I think a lot of people had a hard time with or, like, were complaining about, but I don't know. They play video games for a living, and I don't. So there's that. But apparently the connections to, not not to Fallen Order, but to the High Republic are really cool. I've heard a lot of stuff about the High Republic Jedi. Uh, Yeah, that's all I've heard. But apparently it's really connected to other stuff. So Slay. Good for them. I wish I had an Xbox Series S. Well... I don't know. Anyway, can you guys think of anything else that happened this week? Not really. Slay. Me neither. Um, so with that, we'll get into our uh, May the 4th special. Uh, we decided 
that since we only kind of briefly talked about some of this stuff in the first episode that we're going to go through and talk about some of our favorite Star Wars stuff, but not the movies because we talk about those all the time. So (laughs) not too (laughs) much into the movies, too much into the movies, at least not like just our favorite movies. Um, So we're going to talk about some of our favorite stuff that we haven't really talked about before. Um, Yeah, fun. A little bit of like a throwback to our first episode, a little bit more get to know us, even though probably some of this stuff is if you follow us on other platforms is not going to be surprising, but... (laughs) Here's Here's an all in one convenient location for you. So true. (laughs) So, Uh, oh, oh no, you you go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say. So first up, we have our top three favorite characters. For me, mine will be in no particular order because I am indecisive and things jump around a lot. So someone else can go first with the their third favorite character. Mine are all basically tied. I don't live. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, my my third is very different from last year, I think, because she kind of snuck up on me. She clawed her way to the top. And that is Miss Ray Skywalker, my so beloved. True. Who I feel like this time last year didn't even she probably wasn't even in my top ten. But after doing our Ray episode and reading Allegiance and the the more recent like hyperspace stories, I'm like, oh, she's just she's just my little baby girl. I love <laughs> her so much. So yeah. She's number yes. three for me. So valid. Mine are all kind of tied, but since Liv mentioned her, obviously one of my top three favorites is also Ray Skywalker. <laughs> Uh, I just, I have loved her since the first time that I watched The Force Awakens, the first Star Wars movie that I ever watched. She has been a consistent in my life for the past, oh god, I guess it's almost 10, oh my god, eight years now. That's a lot. Uh, I, I just, I love her. I am so happy that she is getting another movie Mm -hmm. to talk about her her journey into being like a Jedi master and forming a new order I I just I love her I think what they did between her with the dyad was so cool and I feel like honestly like people just kind of like are like I feel like people brush it off sometimes but I think that was such a cool thing to do and a, a unique thing to set the sequels apart um and yeah, I'm just, I'm so excited to see what comes next for her character. And uh, yeah, just my, like, live my sweet baby girl. <laughs> my sweet little sand chinchilla. <laughs> my feral <laughs> sand rat. <laughs> um, again, mine are not ranked because they switch around a lot. But for me, it's going to be Mr. Poe Dameron. My sweet cheese, my good time boy, the first Star Wars comic I ever read was the Poe Dameron series. And after reading like Shattered Empire and after their kind of uh, appearances in Princess and the Scoundrel, by extension, Kess and Shara Bay, Kess Dameron and Shara Bay, I, I love them so bad. 
I need to see them in Mandalorian season four, or if they do a New Republic show or something. And or please, for the love of God, I need live action Cat Stairman and Jarabe. They're technically legacy characters, so Dave Filoni, hand them over. <laughs> but anyway, Poe was the first Star Wars character I really, like, not really liked, but, like, was, like, stand, I would say. Because my very first ship, like, ever, that I really shipped was Finpo. As it should be. Yep. Ever since after seeing The Force Awakens in theaters for the first time, they have just been a constant. Like, I... I scrolled through, my, through them on Tumblr when I was briefly on Instagram. I, even the very, very little that I was on Twitter, it was all Finn Poe. And I think I love Poe so deeply. He is my original sweet cheese, my good time boy. And the first character I really like explored the Star Wars, should I say EU? Uh, I don't know. That usually Universe. gets... Universe, extent non-movie material. Exactly. Like book and comic material. He was the first character I really explored in that way. And for that reason, he will always have a special place in my heart. Love you, Poe Dameron. My uh, number two, which I I don't, one and two are very interchangeable. For me, as I feel like is the same with with all of us on this here <laughs> podcast, um, but I do I do think that Han has been demoted to number two for me. Damn, he is he's been reigning number one for years and years and years. But um, and of of course, like he's still my my sweet baby. He is he's me. He's just like me for real. <laughs> um, I just I love him and I feel like most people misunderstand him. Yes, I do. And it's a curse. And he's not some macho dude. He's he's not he's not what the fanboys think he is. Like I feel like women understand Han Solo. <laughs> some women. Men. Some some <laughs> women very much misunderstand him, but whatever. That's neither here nor there um he's just he's a silly goofy guy and he's always trying to overcompensate and like play himself off as this tough dude but he's he's not he cares so very deeply and that's why i love him so yeah so true han solo everyone Round I love Han Solo. Real true confession, though, he did recently get kicked, booted out of my top five. <gasps> wow. Oh. We may have to kick Damn. you off this podcast. I'm so- yeah. I'm sorry, but, you know, <laughs> I- everyone knows who's in there now. And <laughs> I just, I won't be embarrassed by it, but people will judge me, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh my let's get all of these are like my number one so there's not really any order but uh obviously my next character is Cassian Andor um there I have I've loved Cassian since Rogue One 
And then Andor came out and it just fully cemented him as, I mean, he was already there, but like, it just really like showed he is like the male Star Wars character for me personally. (laughs) Like he is my everything. I absolutely love how Andor expanded on his character, um, how it deepened the foil between him and Jim, how it explored his life before the rebellion, but also showed how in so many ways he has always been a rebel and he's always held that kind of rebel mentality through his life, um, like with standing up after his father's death or Clem's death um, and just like, and then like uh, defecting. I think he technically defected from him bomb. Maybe escaped. We yeah, need to know more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's also one of my favorite little details: the fact that he also served at the same on, time. At as the same Han time, balance. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I love that. Um, I think Andor was such a beautiful way to expand his character. It was like everything that I wanted, while also not being like too. Uh. Like, I think they did a good job balancing, like, what fans wanted to see and what needed to happen for the character. Um, and I am, I'm so excited for Andor season two, where we're going to see, like, full Cassian in the Rebellion, him meeting Mon Mothma, him meeting K2, more of Cassian and Melshi. I... I'm just, I am so, so excited. And I think personally, Diego Luna is one of the best actors that Star Wars has. And I feel like not a lot of people appreciate him and how well he does, especially in moments where there's no dialogue, which uh, not all actors can do that well. But, um, and I don't think that no matter what some people on the internet say, no one else could play Cassie and Andor like Diego Luna plays Cassie and Andor. So true. Hayden. (sighs) well my top two are also interchangeable um but my top two are interchangeable so in the same well now I feel like I have to rank them but I, I can't don't okay so again <laughs> these two are interchangeable because I am just obsessed with both of them. Uh, but in the same vein as Liv, my second spot goes to Mr. Han Solo because I, oh, I love that man so goddamn much and people misunderstand him so badly. God, and they are the only ones who understand him. <laughs> yes. Truly. And we, <laughs> people misunderstand Solo so, so- so so badly and they just miss the entire point of his character in the movie oh well he's not the scoundrel we see in a new hope that's the point it shows you how he got to that point and what happened to him in his personal and emotional life that turns him into this kind of like fronting scoundrel smuggler guy that we see in the original trilogy the dots are not dotting They're, they're not connecting for some people so whenever I say that Han is my favorite character, people are like, oh. And then I say that Solo is one of my favorite movies, and they're like, oh. Like, you know what I mean? They're, they're like, oh. <laughs> people 
it were so mad at me that I said that I liked Han the most in Solo and The Force Awakens. Yeah, because that at its core, I think Han's character in Solo and The Force Awakens are the most Han Solo he ever will be because he lets his guard down and he's not the fronting scoundrel that we see again in the original trilogy. It's him Mm -hmm. at his most vulnerable and his most like raw actual personality instead of the face that he puts up front. So I love Han Solo so much. (laughs) And honestly, I would not like Solo as much as I do if I did, like I already love Solo, but reading the comics and the books took it to another level. Like Imperial Cadet, one of the best Star Wars comics I think ever, and it should not have been a miniseries. It should be an ongoing. Um, and then the solo novelization, we'll get there. It, all of it just adds so, so much to the decisions that he makes, the personality he has, and how he deals with the loss of Kira. And mm. oh, God damn, man. I love that silly, goofy, ADHD-ridden man with my <laughs> entire being. And if you think Han is, or I'm not even going to say that, but I, I love him so bad. And he will, in fact, make me cry in every single movie he's in. Yeah. Yeah. He's just so good. He's like, so good. He's such a good character. And it's a, sh- it's a crying shame that people misinterpret or misunderstand the choices and the decisions that he makes based on his like fronting personality or not Mm -hmm. fronting but like the personality that he puts up his persona his persona thank you this is his personality yeah and that is why he is mirror ball coded so true (laughs) mj once again curse you (laughs) for attacking me in that edit months and months ago that that was crazy (laughs) that edit i don't think that person doesn't realize how they fundamentally changed all three of our lives (laughs) (sighs) anyway top spot live oh go spot okay um this is probably gonna be like such a shock to everyone (laughs) because i like never ever talk about this character Never. Ever. Ever. Um, my god, who's it gonna be? But but my favorite character is in fact Kira. What? Um, yeah, I know. Such oh. a such a <laughs> shock. Um, and I just I she she takes the top spot now that her arc is is done. It's complete. Like we have her whole character arc. I people have asked me, like, oh. Do you think she's going to show up in the Mandoverse or live action or more comics? No, I don't think she mm-hmm. will. Because set for she post post yes, the rise I, of Skywalker. I, yeah. I agree. I agree <laughs> with that one. But like the way that her, her arc was finished mm-hmm. off, it means more for her character to mm-hmm. stay out of the story. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, but any, anyways, that's me talking about comics and not Kira herself. Um, <laughs> so 
it's hard. It is really hard to describe what Kira means to me. Like I, so I wrote a bit about it, which I don't know how much of it is going to be in the article, but um, it will be on StarWars.com. I'm sure we will retweet it to the account. Um, yes. About a big chunk of it was how Kira really solidified my love of Star Wars and kind of gave me the confidence to get out of a really shitty depressive place in my life um and just seeing how her character progressed just it just means so much to me and it's almost like parallel to my life and I just I love her so much I love her so much I love that she gets to be she can be selfish if she wants to but she's still she's a good person she wants the best. Yes, she does put herself first, but I don't, some I may mean, argue just, she can do that. She can make yeah. selfish choice. She's mm-hmm. allowed to. She's like the. I feel like she's the only woman in Star Wars who is allowed who, to make who's selfish allowed, choice. Who is allowed to put herself first and not yes. for mm-hmm. a greater cause? And like, yes, she's she's doing it for Crimson Dawn and she's doing it for the galaxy but she is allowed to to make the choice for herself and even though she she's basically owned by crimson dawn she's worked her her way up so that she's the one in charge she can make the the rules and now she does have her freedom it may not be in the way that she wanted but she's allowed to be free and she I just talk about the cuffs. The cuffs. The cuffs. The cuffs cuffs (laughs) me up, okay? (laughs) Because, like, when you look at her in Where the Bounty Hunters and Crimson Rain and Hidden Empire, she's always wearing those fucking silver cuffs. And I feel like that's her being bound to Crimson Dawn. And I mean, it covers up her tattoo, which. Or not her tattoo, her brand. Well, her brand, yeah. I was thinking tattoo because I used a fake tattoo. (laughs) But, um, so it covers up her brand, which I feel like she did for a reason. So people, I mean, she's not, how do I say? She's not, it's not like she's hiding her past. Like, she tells people that she came from nothing and worked her Mm. way up but i feel like if they were to see that brand on her wrist they They would would look at her differently yeah Yeah. so she covers it Mm. up Mm -hmm. so when we see her at the end of end of hidden empire five she's not wearing the cuffs anymore and i i feel like that not only shows that she's free now but you know, she's allowed to be who she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, and then her granting Cadelia the freedom to make her own decisions. A choice. That. <laughs> I literally just cheered up. It's okay. That, it's fine. No, that, I'm so normal. <laughs> that is what made me start crying when I read that issue for the first time because she gave she gave Cadelia the choice that she never had. Yeah. She could have said, I want you to continue on my legacy. I want you to continue on with Crimson Dawn. And she said, no, 
you are free, you get to make the choice for yourself. So, yeah. Um, that's a little bit about why I love Kira. <laughs> and I'll stop now because I'll probably start crying. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I can't. I can't talk oh. anymore. <laughs> um, my other favorite or top three favorite Star Wars character. Once again, not really a surprise to anyone. It's uh, Jin Erso. I have talked about Jin in depth on multiple occasions now, but um, I I will always love that her story is about finding purpose when you thought that you didn't have one about finding your hope after you thought you lost it about finding people that you can trust and that will literally follow you until the end um when you had like consistently been left behind by people in your life who had promised you that um I love uh <laughs> I rebel rising is like I'll talk about that more later but I the relationship between her and saw is very special to me in a way that I can't really put into words um and I think that there is also something really beautiful about the relationship between her and Cassian about being able to find someone who's so like holy understands you and can be that like mirror of yourself um and that you can see how they both change each other uh and how they both like Jin teaches Cassian like how to be a rebel again and Cassian shows Jin why it's so important to commit to the cause and I think like Andor now adds so much depth to to that the fact that like Cassian has also like experienced so much of like what Jin experienced like the loss of his parents at a really young age this kind of new adopted family um that he wants to impress um having to kind of like hide from the empire uh all of that and I think that she's one of the most underrated Star Wars characters I feel like there are a lot of people who I like just don't really understand her <laughs> um, and like what she does and her purpose. And um, yeah, I just, she'll forever and always be my, my girl. I just, I, I love her. I love her so much. <laughs> There's a reason why Jin was my first Star Wars cosplay ever. Hayden. <laughs> in a move that shocks absolutely no one <laughs> again these two the first and second quote-unquote are interchangeable but the last character i will bring to the table today is gonna be the man the myth the legend the baby girl baylor valance himself i made a joke a couple weeks ago when i was rereading um what was i doing Oh, I was rereading, uh, I think either Imperial Cadet or no, I was, I was writing fanfic. I was writing the collab <laughs> with, with me and Julia's 
uh, collab reminiscence therapy, go read it on uh, AO3. But I, I posted something and I went crazy trying to find this, but all three of my favorite characters, Poe, Han, and Valance, all have a you belong to the stars slash you belong in the stars moment. Poe has his when he when we see him in the New Republic Navy going through training when he is talking with Karay Khan, who is Snap Wexley's wife. Uh, Han has his when it was first detailed and most wanted and then it was brought to life visually by Han and Chewie number two when he's talking with his dad who tells him, you know, I'm just a nobody who's building these ships, but you, you, um, you aren't meant to build them. You're meant to fly them. And then in target Vader, um, dad or Mr. Valance, I will say, who's his dad is telling Valance about the plight of his family and how their homestead and their family on Chorin, they've been working for generations under slavery. And then the empire, uh, comes and frees them. And he says uh, something along the lines of you, you weren't meant to work in the mines. Um, you were, you, what is it? You belong to the stars, Baylor, or something along the lines of that. So I find that really interesting that every single one of my characters, my favorite characters has something along those lines. But as for why I like Valance so much, he's sexy. Uh, <laughs> he... I can't really put into words. Yeah, I know that's lame to say, whatever. But I can't really put into words why I connect with him so much and why I love him so much. But I think it has to do with the fact that he he just never stops. He's relentless. He's like the Terminator. MJ is going to get that reference. Um, quite literally like the Terminator. But... I don't know. I oh, there's yeah. I really can't put into words why I love him so much, but he is very, very special to me specifically. And he, I think there's a reason why he was my very first ever Star Wars cosplay, kind of like Emily. But yeah, I, I just I love him. I love him very much and he needs more goddamn merch. <laughs> you know, if there's one thing about being a fan of the comics is that there's no fucking merch anywhere. The only merch that we have is either made by ourselves or is really expensive. We're all in the struggle because there's like no balance merch. Jin and Kira get left off of like <laughs> women of the galaxy merch all the time <laughs> like we're all <laughs> we're all in the trenches here i bet i would say probably live and i probably own most of the like jen and kira merch oh yeah i'd say that i'm still i'm still working on it but yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'd like to say i own probably all of the valance merch that there probably. is <laughs> yeah <laughs> So I have that going for me. But yeah. Valance. I will donate my heart to you so you don't have to go find Vader again. Love you, my beloved. So should we move so, to our 
five favorite scenes? Yeah. From yeah. Okay. These scenes will not be surprising. <laughs> nope. Yeah. <laughs> In the slightest. Liv, you want to go first? Sure. Okay. So pulling the heavy weight for prequel representation on this podcast is me. Um but this is really my only prequel representation. So, um, so in my fifth, my fifth favorite is um, Shmi and Anakin's goodbye. Yeah, and I I have my criticisms about Phantom Menace, as I have said in the past. But that scene is just, it just hurts me every time, and I just I would like to see more motherly love in star wars that's what that's what that scene tells me really yeah and it just it just shows you how anakin he was a good kid he was a good little dude and then he got corrupted you know i feel bad for him and shmi i love you shmi you're an icon. I wish we got more of you. Yeah. <laughs> M? Oh, that's... <laughs> uh, my fifth favorite scene is... Uh, I tried really hard to think about like which scene was my favorite from Solo. I think I landed on... I <laughs> titled it solo beach scene but uh <laughs> the uh final scene where kira leaves han behind and she's staring at the window and han is looking at the ship leave i just feel like it's such a bitter sweet ending for their relationship uh to realize you know kira kind of fully realizing that she has outgrown this and that she is on a different path than Han is on and for Han to finally kind of have to accept that like she's moved on and he has to as well um and I I just it's so it's so it's so sad but it's so good and it's made better by the fact that you know that like you have Chewie standing right next to him and knowing that like Chewie will then be a constant in Han's life for the rest of his life. Chewie will always be by Han's side. So he will never really be alone again. He'll always have a friend um, and someone who understands him. And I I just think it's it's such a a beautiful, a beautiful scene. And I think that uh it's one of those scenes too. There's like no dialogue, but I think that both Alden and Amelia do such a good job with you it. Mean and no like dialogue. when Amelia yeah. does the getaway car Sorry. faintly getaway car in the play. background. <laughs> that's not dialogue. That's that's the background music. <laughs> I like the way like Kira opens her mouth like a little like she's gonna say something. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's fine. Just it's it's, it's so good. Uh yeah, that's such a good scene. I mean, it was hard so because I also do really love the Beckett and Han scene, their final scene. Mm-hmm. I think that is such a good scene. Um, that's also, I guess, so a beach scene. <laughs> but 
uh yeah that that is my number five so valid I think just an addendum to that the second part where the score comes in and it's like him walking up back the walking back up the beach with chewy tears every single time but anyway yep so my okay I think this I actually have like a ranking ranking for so my fifth place favorite moment is gonna be the Mimbon sequence which is a surprise to no one from solo not only because does it give us a like a, a viewpoint into the reason why Ahan actually left the military, but it also gives us like a line back to Imperial Cadet and everything that happened there. Because as much as I talk about it, the events of Imperial Cadet were very important for Han's character. The entire like the entire turning point of how Han was allowed to was kicked out of was one of the combining factors leading to Han getting kicked out of the military is the fact that he refused to leave Valance behind. And that that only the Minbon sequence itself, it when he's when Beckett and Rio and Val are flying away and he's like, wait, come back, come back. And he's yelling. And then Beckett takes his ship back down and he yells and jumps in the air. It's because someone is finally coming back for him. Because he's been the one all this time in the Navy, again, with Valance, with um, everything that happened most wanted. He's always been going back for the person, but no one's ever come back for him. So everything that happened up until this point on Mimbon, he's been the one picking up the left behind. And then finally someone's coming back for him. That is why the Mimbon sequence is one of my favorite parts of Star Wars ever. And also because balance is there according to the solo uh, adaptation. But anyway, <laughs> fourth place, Liv. Fourth go. place. Uh, my fourth place is the throne room scene in The Last Jedi. Because yeah, that, right oh my God. That fight scene. The Last Jedi. One of the best is, fight scenes in Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. If not the best. Yeah. The, the Last Jedi is one of those movies that you need to see in the theater, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so many moments that are just so exquisite <laughs> on the big screen. Like, I, I've, so I've seen all of the Disney Star Wars in theaters and Return of the Jedi as of yesterday. Um <laughs> And I just, there's something about The Last Jedi that really stuck with me. It's like going to see it on opening night. Mm -hmm. And just Mm -hmm. that whole scene, goddamn. It was so, it's like, it's visually, it's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And just like the chemistry between Kylo and Rey, not even like in a romantic way, just like they make such a good team. There is a reason that they're a dyad. Mm. And like the, just the anticipation of like Kylo turning his saber to Rey, <sighs> but in the background you see the, the saber turning to, to Snoke. And then when it ignites, oh Delicious. my fucking God. When, when Rey throws the saber to him and he like, and like, it goes to the head yes. of the, the guard behind him. I moaned 
in the theater. <laughs> and of course, of course, the thigh grab. The thigh grab <laughs> is very, that's an integral part of, of that whole fight. It's truly, it's beautiful. It's, and it's so important because it shows us how powerful Ray and Ben would be if they just were, if they were working together on the same side. Mm-hmm. Yes. But they're they're not, and they they can't reach that conclusion until the end of Rise of Skywalker, and then he dies anyway. So whatever. <laughs> but um, it's just it's such a good scene, and it's a pivotal character moment for both of them. I think. Mm-hmm. So it's just Chef's kiss from me. I can say. As the former, or as the resident non-Raylo, or non-affiliated Raylo on this podcast, the throne room scene itself, I would have, I personally prefer um, Ray and Kylo to be like a non-romantic dyad, just mm-hmm. because their connection I love is so pl- strong. I love platonic besties, <laughs> Ben Solo and Ray Scott. Yeah, I, like, I... I've said before, I used to be a Raylo. Now I'm more so like they would be besties. Yeah. Like they understand each other in mm-hmm. in a better in a, a platonic way. Yeah. Yes. I would say they just again, need a hug. They both just Yeah. Need yeah. Again, as the non-Raylo affiliated person on this podcast, <laughs> I fucking love the, the throne room scene because even out of the context of them being a dyad or the or them being a, a romantic interest couple or whatever, the throne room scene is so well choreographed and like visually. Despite what many people say. Yeah. They have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Okay. But anyway, the the scene itself is so they just work so well together as a pair and they anticipate everyone else, like the other's movements and how they like deal with the guards. Is just mwah, chef's kiss. I True. love that scene a lot. And I need to rewatch The Last Jedi because I too went to go see that at opening night with two of my friends from high school. Altered my brain chemistry. But anyway, yeah. Emily, fourth place, go. Uh, keeping on The Last Jedi theme, I have the cave scene. Uh, yes. I- love that scene Mm -hmm. so much the visuals are so cool first of all um but beyond that it is such a pivotal moment for ray and a pivotal moment to understand ray's character that deep down her number one fear is that she is alone and that she will never have anyone but herself to rely on and how that so perfectly comes back in like her almost taking Kylo's hand because she's so afraid to be alone. And here you have Kylo offering her what she's always wanted. And she just, and that's like her dark side temptation. I love it. I love it. That's so fundamental to her character that like, I feel like some people forget. It's like Ray's dark side temptation is her fear of being alone. Um, yeah, visually stunning, so fantastic for her character. Daisley Ridley does such a good job in 
that scene and I just I have chills just thinking about it I I I I love it so much um and I like how like you know in a lot of ways since the movie's parallel I it's like it's a really cool version of like the Luke scene um yeah Luke's own kind of key scene like it's a really cool parallel but I think once again it's so perfectly uh shows how despite the fact that their roles might be similar fundamentally they are so different as characters um because that was never Luke Luke's fear was never you know being alone Luke's fear was turning into Vader and you know Ray's fear is is that she only has herself and then it so perfectly comes back then in the last moment when all of the Jedi come to her to show that as long as she has the force she will never be alone. Not only because the force connects her to her diet, Kylo, but because the force connects her to all of these Jedi who came before her. And I just think that is, is so beautiful. It's, it's so perfect. Um, yeah, just, just one of the most perfect encapsulations of character motivation that I have seen in Star Wars. Um, God, the last Jedi has so many good fucking scenes. <laughs> coincidentally <laughs> that is my top four that's my fourth spot is the the scene where all the jedi talk to ray and the i am all the jedi scene as a whole because i forgot about that one that probably would have been in my top five had i remembered it i really think it's like <laughs> six it's so good yeah i remember in the theater i i i can't lie i started crying because like who wouldn't because this whole time, she's basically been, her worst fear has been that she's alone. And kind of just echoing what you're saying, Em, that scene itself reminds Ray that as long as she is one with the Force, she's never going to be alone. And that, coupled with the fact that it was her who finally destroyed her, not only her grandfather, but this kind of plague on the galaxy that's been, um, that's been you know, just wasting away and destroying the the makeup of the galaxy as a whole for what, like 50, 70 years? I don't know. I can't do math. But I think that is, yeah, that definitely is one of my favorite moments. Even though I, Rise of Skywalker has its moments, don't like, I, I think the Rise of Skywalker, when you take it out of the saga, is a very good movie, but it doesn't really fit well with the themes that the rest of the saga has and oh see I will argue that when we get to that <laughs> but I continue no no you <laughs> yeah I think that is one of the standout moments from Rise of Skywalker and that's what solidifies it as number four on my list I like sob when Kanan says in the heart of her in the heart of, uh, uh, of the Jedi, the Jedi strength. strength. Like, I didn't know oh, who like, he was at that point, but it was a tears. damn good line. <laughs> yeah, it was a good line. And then when I rewatched it, like, after I had watched Rebels, like, yeah. yeah, it is. It's such the perfect line for Rey. It is such the perfect line for Kaden to be telling her. Yeah. Um, the first time I watched it after I finished watching The Clone Wars and Rebels, I not good (laughs) and even Anakin saying like finish what I started yeah and then that also leading into Kylo finishing what he started and being able to save Rey 
tears. It's good. <laughs> Third place. Go. Third place. Um, right at the forefront of my mind from last night is the finale to Return of the Jedi because it makes me sob like a baby every single time. <laughs> and I tweeted this earlier. But I don't understand how some people prefer the original yub nub ending to uh, victory celebration. That like, makes uh, me so mad. Sorry. Like, <laughs> I under I understand I understand the nostalgia standpoint of it. But like Victory Celebration them, just sounds better. It sounds better, and them adding in the different planets celebrating, it just wraps up the entire saga mm-hmm. so much better. Like Yubnub, I understand it's a good it's it's a perfectly fine conclusion to Return of the Jedi. But Victory Celebration is a satisfying conclusion to episodes one to six. Correct. Like as a whole, you know? But mm-hmm. anyways, just the finale of that and them being like just celebrating all the hard work that they've done. They finally overthrew the Empire. And then at the end, when we get to see the Force Ghosts. And it's Hayden Christensen Force Ghosts. And I still I don't understand why people complain about that either, but whatever. Um <laughs> that's that's the last time that he was a Jedi. Of course he wants to portray himself as that, not a shriveled old egg. <laughs> but um but just like seeing the ghosty boys there and Luke is like, hey guys, we did it. And they're like, you go gay boy. Um, and then they all hug. We get the wedge Luke hug. We get the the sky solo hug. Um, and everyone's just so happy. And another thing about that final scene is that it's made so much better when you think about the Return of the Jedi adaptation that came out in 1983. The, le- the very, very last line of this was... Remember, this is the end of Star Wars movies for the foreseeable future, besides the mm-hmm. like besides the comics. The line goes, and if later, while the revelry around the campfire swells, one among them stands apart, haunted, perhaps, by the knowledge few others can ever share, he is still not alone. There is someone waiting to take his arm to draw him to her and the others back into the circle of warmth and love. When I tell you, when I thought about that, when I watched it for the first time uh, on the big screen the other day, tears yeah so ugh, sorry continue that that i oh, think that I was, might be my favorite panel in all of star wars comics but anyway yeah that that was basically all i had to say it's just it's such a good ending and mm-hmm. i i used to cry because okay listen i i have been open about being a rise of skywalker hater in the past i have come around to it it's not my favorite but i don't like adamantly hate it anymore Same here but i used to watch return of the jedi and and cry because it's like oh they're celebrating for nothing this did nothing because Vader sacrificed himself for nothing because Palpatine is just going to come back. I feel like that's, well, maybe it has a grain of truth to it. It's a very cynical view of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm moving past that 
I'm just now I just get emotional because you get to see all of the different planets celebrating overthrowing tyranny and like on Coruscant when you see the statue of Palpatine toppling and, over. Yeah. and the Jedi temple in the background it's just like oh my god even the silly little Wisa free when they're on Naboo like <laughs> wait I'm that happens like, you d- yeah one of the because they're all celebrating and one of the Gungans go Wisa free and I was like, you go, go, get you deserve to be free. So, yeah. Okay, that's that's all I have to say about it. Uh, my number three scene is the uh, Ray grabbing the lightsaber scene in The Force Awakens. So good. I... That whole forest fight scene is one of my favorite things from Finn facing off against Kylo to Ray in Kylo fighting. Um, but when that lightsaber goes to her, and it's just like this perfect moment of her accepting her place in the story, accepting Chills. this new path that she has been resisting, um, being able to stand up for like the men- the potential mentor that she just lost. It's and like her friend, her new friend, it's it's so good and just when she grabs it and then ignites it and the snow is everywhere musical note um the the scene that happens when she first ignites the lightsaber is the same music that plays like the same iteration of the force theme that plays when luke goes home and finds aunt beru and uncle owen charred to bits so so it's like literally like it's their moment of like this is how the story yeah. uh, gets involved. And just like, oh, let's get it. It's so, and it's like so cool, like visually, like Kylo is reaching for it and then it just goes right past him into her hands. And after like Kylo has like been so insistent that like that is like his legacy, it's like, no, as long as you are on the dark side, like the Skywalker saber is the light side's legacy i i love it so much it's so good <laughs> delicious absolutely delicious <sighs> hated my top three also from the force awakens i don't know if you could tell but we're a very <laughs> we're not beating the sequel enjoy your allegations <laughs> on this podcast nope <laughs> <laughs> so my number three is the scene when Han and Rey are coming up on Takodana and she goes, I didn't know there was m- this much green in the whole galaxy. And uh, Han just looks at her and you I'll can cry tell, right now. I'll cry right I'm, now. I'm literally tearing up right now. Girl, and you Dad, can tell, so low. <laughs> you can tell how much of him Han sees in this young girl from the desert planet. <laughs> I... I've always maintained that, of course, yes, he clearly sees like Luke and Leia in her. I've always maintained that he sees Kira in her, that he is worried to leave behind another girl uh, in case that she, because he doesn't want her to have the same fate as Kira had. You can't do this to me, Emily. You can't. There's so much in that, those few words and that one look that, that he, he gives looks her, at her. I, I'm literally about to start crying right now. <laughs> like just that moment of like her fully like 
after like just being like there is more to the galaxy there is more like life life can be more so good (laughs) and then I like how like that scene too is now like kind of been mirrored in like um, with the first time Omega goes gets off of Camino, yeah, and she sees mm-hmm. the dirt, and like it's that same kind of reaction. Literally gonna cry. Yeah, no, it's already happening. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> I love that scene for a multitude of reasons. Not only is it because that Ray is not really she's not moving on from this place that she was with her parents, but it's her seeing that there's there's more to the galaxy than she ever thought was possible. And then Han sees himself in her because he his past was basically just like, basically caring about himself and protecting himself from another heartbreak like Kira. So him seeing himself, or he, he basically sees a young him on Corellia when he thought there was no other possible way just to get out okay so my number two is um we're gonna take a break from the all the serious scenes okay um because (laughs) oh i think i know what this is yeah so this (laughs) is when people ask me what my favorite scene in star wars is i usually say this one just because it's easier to explain um it is in a new hope when han is Pretending to be a stormtrooper <laughs> over the cops. I knew it. <laughs> because it, that, watching that for the first time, that's when I was like, oh shit. He's a he dumbass. Me. He's <laughs> the <laughs> same person as me. <laughs> because, oh my God, he's a dumbass. Because, especially knowing what I know now, like, he literally used to be in the Empire. He probably had a TK number that he could have used. But oh, no. he says, uh, boring conversation anyway. Shoots the... <laughs> I literally have it. I have the scene on a t-shirt. It's a screen cap of him. And it says, we're fine, thank you. How are you? How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Like, he's just so... Good job, Han. I love him so much. Anyways, that that one, I feel like it doesn't need explaining. It just makes me laugh. That scene and the scene where he's, like, running after the stormtroopers and he's just fucking yelling (laughs) kills me every single time. He's such a goof. (laughs) He's so funny. He's a silly, goofy mood. (laughs) But Emily... I'm I'm gonna immediately take it right back to serious. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh it is the rogue one beach scene, uh the final scene. Basically everything from Jin and Cassian on the elevator to them on the beach, uh to their final hug. Just like it's so it's so beautiful. And for two people who like like Jin talks about in the Rogue One novelization that like she thinks about how she's like gonna die alone without anybody knowing who she really is and to have her die with someone who fully knows who she is and who also 
in like their last moments, like tells her how proud like her father would be of her. And then, you know, Cassian, who was given so much to the rebellion doing this final thing and like hearing that, like, of course, there are people listening, like you did it. You have brought, you have, you have done, accomplished what you wanted to. Um, And the elevator, once again, we talk about scenes with no dialogue, but just that perfect, like them thinking about like what could have been or like what could be if they escaped um perfect uh and then also like that final moment too of even like Krennic like crawling and then he looks up and you can just see the green in his eyes and knowing that in that final moment he is recognizing that like he is being destroyed by the very thing he fought so hard to build and like he will be erased is like the perfect comeuppance (laughs) and I still think it's the funniest shit that the the ray goes directly through the tower like through exactly him where like he they was. like and like Jordan like aimed it at him like <laughs> it's just it's uh it's it's so good and then even that to like that that hug and just the all white and that moment of just like pure light on the screen Ooh, chills again <laughs> chill like I it's it's perfection and personally, where the movie ends for me, there's nothing else that happens after that. <laughs> so true. Listen, I understand, except for the Leia. Leia. The yeah. Leia. Yeah. <laughs> Leia. I actually believe that it should have cut story from the beach to Leia. That would have been my oh, first. Yeah, film. correct. Or like just like them Leia handing the plans to her. Yeah, yeah. Because that that yeah. is the perfect. That's like, it. do you think anybody is listening? And then you see that she is. Oh it's my! Like, oh yes, my God! That, I never even that, thought of it that yeah, way. Yeah, but. Anybody's listening? Yeah, Leia Suffering. is out there listening. What is it? She, she what will is it ensure. They brought us hope, hope, hope. Yeah, that. Oh God, no. I I agree. Except for the Leia, can't. I agree that Leia. Perfect. Um, that is like my all-time favorite Star Wars quote. Just hope. But it's hope. Brought us That's hope. it. Yeah, the tears yeah. in my eyeballs again. Yeah. <laughs> And the fact that like Cassian and Jin went so much of their lives living without hope and then were able to bring hope to literally the entire galaxy in as, as their final action. Yeah. Just it's fine. Beautiful. <laughs> it's fine. I'm fine. I'll I'll literally never recover ever in my life from that. <laughs> <laughs> uh hate it. You're number so, two. My second favorite scene is in fact Han seeing the Falcon for the first time that that moment is self-explanatory with the score and him being surrounded by these people that he kind of doesn't like and then one person that he really loves I just chef's history and everything leading up to that moment like Lando and L3's like banter the <laughs> them all staring at her when she's like cutting through the the gate thing and then Lando, when he says, like, I'm definitely going to have some words with someone about this. <laughs> a pure comedy. But, like, the just the whole scene itself and the fact that he says himself that it's like, oh, it's probably going to be, be a piece of junk or something. Chef's kissery. Absolute wonder of dialogue from the screenwriters. <sighs> and I, 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 I don't think I need to say anything else about that moment. It's just, it's, it's a... It's a glimpse into the future and what Han is going to be. And I really like that moment. 
Also because Alden looks really good in that fur coat. But anyway. So true. <laughs> so true. <laughs> the fact that, okay, this is it off topic, kind of. Um, so Kira was wearing that like fur stole or whatever. Mm-hmm. The fact the that they took away her hat is a crime. She had a is hat? A cri- yeah. Yes. Yeah. I will send you pictures later. And <laughs> because she it's a very big hat. Like- yeah, it's she like looks like Derby the hat. picture of like a 1940s femme fatale. It is mm-hmm. such a sleigh. And that was already the vibe that they were going for with her character anyway. So I really feel like they should have kept the hat. But fine. that's neither here nor there. So fit to the bit. Yes. <laughs> so my my favorite scene is one that Emily actually already talked about. <laughs> but it is in fact um when Kira makes that off in the get getaway car on so true queen on Savarine. <laughs> um it just I feel like it's a very important character moment for both her and for Han. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've said it before, but yes, she she took that position of power for herself but she did it she and han doesn't see it as this but she did it for han as well because mm-hmm. if like the the comics kind of explain it as well but she didn't want that kind of life for han she knew that mm-hmm. he's a good guy he doesn't deserve to be caught up in these crime syndicates and he he could make a name for himself he could join the rebellion if he wanted to which wouldn't happen for quite a few years anyways but she just she loved him so much that she let him go Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something people gloss over that she Mm -hmm. did it entirely for herself she did it for her own gain but she didn't Mm -hmm. she Mm -mm. no she did it to save Han exactly Ew. she she, she, she wanted... did it for both of them yeah, yeah. mutually beneficial yeah, and like in, it's, mutually, it's and like in the end they both needed to yeah let go mm-hmm. of each other exactly like and and we see that in war of the bounty hunters as well where she explains to leia like i always wanted his body to end up with the rebellion i just i needed to get everyone's attention first like they're there's nothing for me to gain from just giving you the body. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the same kind of deal with her leaving Han at the end of Solo. And I just, I love it. And it does make me cry, but it's better for the both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Em- Emily. Uh. What's it? Probably not a surprise. My favorite scene is the welcome home scene from Rogue One. Just two co uh, really, I mean, co working. Just co workers <laughs> co working. I mean, just the entire like speech uh, to before that, like Cassian gives about like we've all done terrible things for the rebellion. Um, and also like how much weight that has given like what we're seeing in Andor and like what specifically like Luthen has like plans are um but then like yeah that moment of I'm not used to people sticking around when things go bad 
welcome home. Cassie and knowing exactly in that moment that that's what Jin needed to hear because that's what he would have needed to hear. And Jin finally having someone who is literally willing to follow her to the ends after like so many people in her life left her behind. It's just perfection. And also K2, I'll go with you. Cassie said I had to. <laughs> it's so good. It's it's the perfect like balance of like serious humor, heartfelt perfection. Absolutely beautiful. Um, and King Melshi is standing right behind Cassian <laughs> and like now knowing like everything that they went through together, like having the context of like knowing that like Melshi is doing that because he has such complete trust in Cassian giving, given what happened on Nurkina 5 and all that they survived together. Beautiful. Just absolutely wonderful. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Hated. <laughs> Your top scene? My top scene in all of Star Wars is... Okay. This is a scene I don't really see talked about a lot, but my favorite scene in all of the Star Wars movies is Han going into hyperspace for the first time. Like that whole sequence when he comes in and he's talking about, you know, his relationship with his dad and how he got laid off at the CEC plant. And... In the context of everything that happened um, from what we know and most wanted, but also what we know in Haunted Chewie, his dad, his memory of his dad is the very, very last connection that he has to like his biological family. And the song, oh my God, I'm going to start crying again. The song that plays in that moment is called Family Stories on the deluxe, um, on the deluxe score. And every time it comes on shuffle or I'm listening to the soundtrack, I have to take a moment because every time I hear those first few notes is when I start crying. But once L3, you know, boots him out of the cockpit and they finally get get to go into space is and then when they finally go into hyperspace and you see just like the pure joy and elation on Han's face. There's the moment I forget if it's in the the solo adaptation or in the or in Imperial Cadet, I think it's in the solo adaptation, where he and Kira are flying on a mission with Moloch. Yeah, with Moloch. And he and he is like finally out of the airspace of Corellia and he's just staring at like the the viewport of stars in front of him. But he's like he's changed. He's, he's still changed to most wanted. No, this is um it's in the adaptation, but it's like a separate thing. Because in Most Wanted, it was him, Sulo, and Kira going to meet the engineer, right? Yeah. But there was a moment like that too, that like he was like No, this is different. Oh, okay. This is in the adaptation. But it's it's him and Kira on a mission led by Malik when he finally sees like the stars in front of him. And it's the very first time he goes out into space. But Malik, you know, he he keeps him on a leash and he's like, No, don't go too far. We still have to do this mission, whatever. But in that moment, when he goes into hyperspace the first time on the Falcon, we see him truly free of everything that happened to him from the Imperial Academy, from the from the Navy, from everything that happened on Corelli with the White Worms. It was the first time we finally see him truly be free and truly be happy because, like his father said, you belong in the stars. So, 
And that moment is just made better by everything we see in Most Wanted and Imperial Cadet because the whole point, like the, the first time he gets thrown into jail in Imperial Cadet is when he steals TIE Fighter, almost gets to space, gets shot down by his commander, and then gets thrown in jail. So in that moment, even though he's not piloting the ship, it's his signal to him that he is truly free to go wherever and do whatever he wanted. So that is my favorite scene in all of Star Wars, and it makes me cry every single time I watch it, which is a weird scene to cry at, but it's okay. I'm a weenie. (laughs) (sighs) That was very solo heavy, I think. (laughs) Uh, Next, we have our top five favorite individual uh, TV episodes of like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, Liv, what is your number five? Okay, so my number five, I kind of cheated, but they go they go hand in hand. Like you can't separate them. Okay, um, and once again, I am the prequel representation <laughs> in this in this um, I words I I don't know <laughs> I'm the only one who has prequel representation. Um, and it is um, Plan of Descent and Carnage of Krell. Oh my from... god! I have I have Plan of Descent on there too. <gasps> oh my god! Okay, so maybe I'm not the only one who has prequel <laughs> representation, but it's fine. Um, just the Umbara arc. It's very difficult to watch, but those two episodes in particular are just. <sighs> yeah that whole Ambara yeah. sequence is yeah it's painful it really is and especially because it, it gives me my, my boy gives <laughs> me my hard case and then snatches him away just <laughs> when Clone Wars give it so As... also take it away <laughs> yes which is I don't think I've ever talked about my curse on here which is I think you um, have have I how every yeah. single Every single clone that I get attached to (laughs) is murdered, like almost immediately. But still have wrecker. We still have wrecker. I for now. For now, (laughs) makes me very scared. It It didn't go so well with tech. No, it did not. Um, (laughs) Still, still recovering. I still haven't watched that episode. Actually, I can't because it makes me. It like thinking about it makes me upset. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but anyways, so that I feel like those episodes just they really develop the clones as their own characters beyond just like the army of the Republic. yeah, I don't have anything yeah. further to say about it, but I just, I really like that arc, even though it makes me want to rip my hair out every single time. So valid. Uh, my number five is The Marshall, uh, or the yeah. season two uh, premiere of Mando. I love Cobb Vance. I think that Timothy Oliphant was the perfect choice to play him. I think that's such a fun use of Tatooine that feels different, but mm-hmm. is still like it's it's essential. It's very Tatooine, but it's very different. Um, I the Tuscan Raiders in that episode 
are fantastic. It's another really great setup for them in the book of Boba Fett, but to see them in this way and like to see somebody like Din treat them like so with so much respect um, is really amazing given what happened in other Star Wars. Um, and I, and I think I like, and I like the action a lot. I just think it's so cool. And, you know, Din Cobb for life for real. Um, so true. <laughs> just, I just think it's so fun. And even though I was initially very upset about Boba Fett coming back, um, I, I think it ended up being really cool. And once again, I think that is so like a cool moment of like watching him kind of look over and then like when he comes back later, really, really fantastic. Uh, just a really fun episode. I think it's one of the best season openers of any Star Wars TV. Definitely. Hayden. So... Mm. I really don't have a I don't have a ranking for all of mine so I am just gonna I'm just gonna pick a random one from my list but you know what I'll, I'll take the easy way out I I have Plan of Descent on there too okay I think just the whole Umbara arc is really good and it's one of my favorites it was the first I was when I watched Clone Wars for the first time, it was the first arc I really not paid attention to, but like connected with because I really liked I was the, the exact same way. I yep. really liked the clone centric um, episodes. And even though I did like the Water War arc, I've talked about the Water War arc, Water War caters be gone. <laughs> but the it, the Umbara arc is so sad and it really. Like, Planet Descent specifically is the episode where Jesse and Hardcase and Fives all go up in the little fighters and they, you know, they explode the droid, whatever. Yeah. But the whole arc itself is just really good at demonstrating how loyal the clones are, not only to the Republic, but to themselves. And how strongly they form and how strong their bonds are and how absolutely despicable it is that Pongrel basically made them kill each other. And saying it out Fuck loud kind of sounds stupid. Pongrel is the greatest villain in Star Wars. Fuck Palpatine. Mm-hmm. He is the worst. Yep. But anyway, it's a really good showcase of brotherhood and how and how most like most movie media, at least for the prequels, glosses over the fact that these these men are brothers. And they have an unspeakable bond that not re- the Jedi can't like really understand. Maybe shock T because she was around them like basically since they were kids. But it's a really good showcase of again brotherhood and what they mean to each other. Okay, four go. Four um, is the honorable ones I from Rebels. <laughs> honorable ones is my number three. Oh my god. <laughs> Where, where all um, Kaluzeb stands on this podcast. Yes. And I I need to re- re-watch Rebels, but I just remember that episode standing out to me so much because it's like, I feel like we, outside of the books, we don't really get to see like someone from the Empire and someone from the Rebels 
literally sitting down and having a fireside yeah, chat. Exactly. Like so FDR coded. And so FDR coded. Just so true. Um and Emily has plagued me <laughs> for several years with with the the thought that Call It What You Want by Taylor Swift is about Callus and Zeb. And every Don't time like that I'm song, brand new. No, <laughs> listen, every time that song comes on and it gets to the he built a fire just to keep me warm, I giggle. I giggle a <laughs> That's little bit. Literally I'm not them. gonna lie. No, Hayden, I need you to listen. I will send you the song afterwards. Wait, and which I need album you is it? Reputation. Slay. <laughs> so you have heard it before, but like I need you to re-listen to the song and think about Callus and Zeb reputation more like reputation so true <laughs> but anyways um i do like when someone from the empire and someone from the rebels can just talk to each other mm-hmm. and like explain themselves you know mm-hmm. and like obviously Cal- that's when Calus is like oh shit maybe this is i need right to i need yeah. to get out yeah, um, that the moment of Callus realizing the personal effect mm-hmm. that he has while working in the Empire because he's so caught up in this idea of like order and and this sense of justice that then he forgets the actual real people pain, exist that real people yeah. and the actual pain that he is causing people and to be faced so directly with that is yeah it's it's the wake-up call for him and then not only that but to be faced so directly with that and then for Zeb to still treat him with compassion in a way that no one in the empire does yep Mm -hmm. it delicious and that when he get back when he gets back to his room and you just see him sitting alone sitting alone with the stone after nobody even noticed he was gone it's delectable <laughs> delectable it's so good and it's why Callus has one of the best like redemption arcs because mm-hmm. you get to see so much of it you get to see the literal moment that a defection is implanted in him through everything to the final moment where he is fully forgiven and being able to go see the Lissot's new home planet mm-hmm. just yeah. Plus, we have a six Aguerrero reference, so you know that's <laughs> always going to give extra points in my book. <laughs> oh, Emily, did you want to say your number four? So my number four, I'm actually, I actually sitting here, I'm going to change it because uh, I briefly forgot. I originally was going to say <laughs> the finale of Rebels, which I do still very much love, uh, in part because of the callous moments, but I actually. Uh, going to say the Bad Batch uh, season one. Uh, I think it's called Aftermath. I love that episode so much. Oh yeah, the first episode? The first episode is so good. The introduction of Omega, the Bad Batch already coming to terms with how the Empire is changing the galaxy, Um, them leaving. I... I just like, and then it, seeing like their dynamic outside of just like their Clone Wars episodes, especially with Echo now like fully a part of the gang, um, 
it's it's so good and I think the action scenes again are really great in that episode um and I just I just think it's such a strong opener I honestly think that it's up there with the movies for how good it is and I I just really and I just really love to see the empire the the those like first days of the empire through the point of view of the clones of the clones yeah and to see already how they're being phased out and how they no longer have purpose to Palpatine and how like yeah it's just it's so it's so good and like even the crosshair stuff is really good where like his chip is going haywire and then he is turned against his brothers just so so good I will just rewatch that episode because I just I love it so I feel much. like the the siege of Mandalore arc from Clone Wars season seven and Bad Batch aftermath that chunk of of TV is comparable to any of the movies yes in terms of quality like it's it's crazy like I wish I could have watched the Bad Batch first episode on a big screen yeah Yeah. like that would have been incredible Mm -hmm. um yeah so as much as I love the Rumpus finale, I'm sorry, that's just, that will always <laughs> hold a special place in my heart. And I just think I had so much fun posting about like the Bad Batch Weekly during the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so, it was such a fun energy uh, to see everyone talking about them. Uh, and it introduced me to my, my beloved Wrecker, who will always <laughs> be my favorite clone. Um, yeah. Hey, were you also honorable ones as number four? Not number four. Okay. Well, I don't know. Uh, well, the one that I was gonna say kind of sounds stupid compared to that. But <laughs> no, Clone Wars season four, episode seventeen, the box, where all the bounty hunters get put in the box and they have all those puzzles that they try not to die oh, in. Shit, that one is so good. The deception arc. I, saw. <laughs> I love that whole like deception bounty hunter arc so much and not just because it's like bounty hunters but because the like the intrigue and the mystery behind what what obi-wan is doing is just really good and the box like it like the episode itself is it's it's really good like in terms of just how you get to see a lot into the the face of the bounty hunter world at least in the time of the prequels and how you have all of these differing people with reputations like cad bane is there um, apparently this guy, Reiko Hardeen, who we've never heard about before until then. <laughs> is that is... the one with Bosk? No. No, am I thinking of a oh, different one? Oh, no! My god, he just reminded me. Another one of my favorites, I think an honorable mention, is the episode with all the bounty hunters and Ventress when they go and steal the, 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 the kid. <laughs> yeah. That's a, a good one. Yeah, <laughs> I on also the like the Boba where they're in prison and Boba starts a fight and <laughs> Bosk is just there. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's a that's a good one. I'll, I'll give that one my honorable mention. But I don't know. I just I think that might be my favorite episode of Clone Wars. To be honest, is that whole deception arc. And also that that arc is like right after the Umbara arc. So I think season four of the of the Clone Wars is the best. So anyway, no, you're right. You're right about that. <laughs> yeah, I that I like the box. It's a really cool episode, and plus. Morala Weeball is so stupid. I just like to make fun of him. 
<laughs> when he when he talks about himself in the in the third person, it's so funny. Only Zuckus can do that and get away. So with it. true. That's his brand. So, yeah. But yeah. Anyway, it's episode four or top four in my my top my fuck <laughs> my fourth in my top five is going to be the box. Live Play. top three or top okay. third. My number three is number three. Um, <laughs> Sanctuary, which is episode four, uh, season one of such a good one. Delicious. Because I, that. Domestic like, Mando. Yeah, that. Okay. When Mando first started, I was like, I don't understand why everyone has a crush on, the, on Mando. I don't get it. <laughs> and then I watched this episode and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, just, mm, okay. Which, like, it has died down now. I am not a crazy Mando girly anymore. Um, those days have passed me. But this yeah. episode, it's just... I I really do think they're going to come back to this episode. I hope like, so. In, in season so. four. Like, I've said it before, but my end game... Like what I want Mando's endgame to be is to settle down with Omera back on that planet. Take I off miss his Omera helmet. Every day. He's done. I miss, I miss her day. so much. I miss she her every is, day. I need to learn more about her. My headcanon is that she's a former handmaiden on Naboo. I love that. Ooh, that's which a would good explain one. like why she knows how to shoot the gun. But mm-hmm. like just I just want to know anything about her. I just want her back, okay? But that's that's it. I love that one. Emily? Um, I said my number three already was the honorable ones. Um, we already talked about this. I don't have much else to say <laughs> about it. Uh, Asian Callus, you will forever be one of my favorite Imperial Defectors. Uh, so true. Just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, my third is <laughs> the honorable ones too. Because when I was when I was thinking, I was thinking about which episodes of Rebels I really like and which ones I will rewatch. And the honorable ones is that episode. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it just is that bitch. Sorry, but <laughs> it's it's just so good for all the reasons that Emily outlined, and the fact that I I, I don't know what else to say. Just the honorable gay ones. people, <laughs> gay people. So true. So real. Anyway, live. Two. Go. Two. My number two is One Way Out from Andor. Yeah! Because yeah. that structurally re... No. Words. That restructured my brain. Yeah. Like, I... There were so many emotions happening in my brain at the same time. I I think I sobbed for most of that episode when I watched it for the first time because I was just so so glad that they got out. <laughs> and then at the <laughs> at the end the I can't swim that I will never be the same. That ruined me. That fucking ruined and me. Luthen, don't understand Luthen's speech. Yeah. Oh, the, okay. and then when it cuts to it's like we'll, we need all the men we can get, and it cuts to Melshi and Cassian. The the fact Chills. that Kino's speech, oh, 
and Luthen's speech happened in the same two, fucking episode. Yeah, they're like two of the greatest speeches in all of Star Wars. And they happen like what, 10 minutes apart? 10 minutes apart. That's I'm insane. Yeah. I'm condemned to use the weapons of my enemies, <laughs> my enemies. as the prisoners are using. I made my mind a sunless place. Um, I burned I burned my uh, I burned my life for a sunrise I'll never see. See. Like that it's insane. Andor this the speeches, the monologues that they gave us. Everything. Star Wars will never be the same. So true. But Literally. just one way out. I'm I've said it before. I think I said it when the episode came out, but I am mm-hmm. a like underdogs banding together to rise above the person in in control like that is my shit that is my favorite thing that's my favorite trope in fiction ever so this was like phenomenal to me like i i had to stop my andor rewatch because i got to the prison arc <laughs> and i was like mm. i I love this so much and it means so much to me, but I don't know if I can go through that again. <laughs> yeah. You know? I'll, I'll, I will rewatch it eventually, but yeah, it's hard. It's so like, Oh my God, because I rewatched the Aldani arc and I am an idiot. And so the, <laughs> did you forget about Nemec? I did. Well, I didn't. <laughs> okay. I didn't like the entire second half of the eye I was like I'm just gonna look at my phone I'm gonna be playing solitaire so I don't have to re-watch Nemec dying and then some something in my brain said look up and it was at the split second when Nemec gets hit with the crates and then I just started sobbing again so <laughs> that is why I paused my rewatch. um I will go back to the prison arc when I am strong enough. <laughs> but so anyways, M, you're number two. Well, speaking of Andor and the Eye, the Eye is my uh, number two. Shout out to Rebel Heist. Gotta be one of my favorite genders. <laughs> um, <laughs> I there. I think this is one of the most... It's. I love the heist and I usually, I've talked about it before, action usually uh, is not one of my favorite things, but I think this is so well done and well paced that it really keeps me engaged. Um, And just like everything, there's so many moments that like when I think about my favorite moments in Andor, like it, so many of them come from this episode from the Valcinta moment of like, tell me you'll be okay. And like, just that final of like, Oh, it's lesbians. <laughs> um, and then uh and and Gorn's seven years serving under you, I deserve worse. And then uh yeah, of course you have Nemec, which is just like <laughs> devastating. Um, and then you have but then giving Cassian the manifesto. And then you have everything with skiing and just, I, I, I am a rebel. It's just me against everyone else. And I love that line because I feel like that is such a good line for Cassian's character, but also characters like Han and Baze and Jin that like, it so perfectly encapsulates those people. Like they, they have the rebel spirit, but currently like 
they can't focus on fighting the empire for everyone. They just need to focus on surviving and living and being able to protect themselves. Um, and just, it's so beautiful. Like I want to cry because of how beautiful just the eye itself is. Mm -hmm. I still have it as my lock screen just because of how much I, I love it and watching all of the Eldani's watch it and that scene of the the guy getting in the tie fighter as it goes on in the back it's just it is it is so so good uh just chef's kiss and then luthan at the end when it when he gets the news and he has to rush back because he can't keep his cover and he just has that moment of pure joy because it yeah. worked but and and you and you feel it too but also because you've just experienced the loss of like Terramin and Nemec and Gorn it's also like chills so again <laughs> I yeah I love that episode and I like how it's one of the episodes that it did keep um like I love how Andor switches between so many POVs but I love how this episode kept it fully in the eye until the end where you see like the Senate finding out about it and Luthen finding out about it. Like it's just mm-hmm. so perfect. And then yeah. in the next episode where you see uh, Cyril finding out about it and then you hear Marva talking about it. It's just, it's perfect. Yeah. Eden. My, this is going to be surprising, but this is like actually surprising. I think my second favorite episode of Star Wars television is going to be Mando season three, episode three, The Convert, with the New Republic mm. stuff. And, uh, you know, with Elia Kane <laughs> and Dr. Pershing, just them navigating the world of post Empire, of post Imperial Coruscant as former Imperial soldiers. It gave us a really good look into again how the new republic treats its prisoners and how they're being treated as people who are like effectively like gideon's right-hand men mm-hmm. from some from certain mm-hmm. points of view but it's just a really it was just a really good episode as a whole did it belong in the season maybe not <laughs> but it was good and it was a good way of storytelling and it was really different to it, it it was almost like reading it was almost like reading a Star Wars book, like something like Aftermath or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed the March of the Resistance uh music drop, needle drop in there, which I have listened to this to the score after the episode came out. And it is the song, it's called like Imperial Street Fair or something like that. The song's a bop. I can't lie. They they <laughs> carniified it. Um, yeah the carniified march of the resistance it's so silly goofy but yeah that was my top two no that anyway, episode is so good yeah yeah it's really good i like it and, and for me i like it because it, it feels like andory mm-hmm. it's yeah. like yeah, it's, yeah it feels it feels like the books but it also feels very andory to me mm-hmm. anyway live top star wars episode go my top star wars episode is the tribes of tatooine which is episode two of the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. Which, oh, that episode <laughs> changed my life. Kind of. Just, oh my God. 
that was that was an insane episode yeah like mm-hmm. good from start to finish like i i don't know if i have a single criticism of that episode no just the way that the tuscans were represented how they were finally fleshed out into being like actual characters and not some like boogeyman and the people or the creatures that Anakin genocides basically but they got fleshed out and they took Boba in as one of their own and taught him and then we got fucking Kersantin which made win for Star Wars comics enjoyers which made me actually yell at 3 a.m when I was watching it just insane insane that episode start to finish was beautiful and the fact that just what it did for boba's character like it i feel like it completely restructured how he was perceived in the past Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it went like oh you think that boba is this crazy alpha male dude think again think again they literally end the episode with a dance around a campfire and it's beautiful like there's so much and it's it's hard because you know what happens to the tuscans in the next episode but in this episode alone there's so much respect given to indigenous cultures Mm -hmm. and you can see that with the tuscans and how boba interacts with them and especially because Tamora Morrison himself is an indigenous man and so much of that bleeds into his character it just it's beautiful to me I just I really really loved that episode even if the rest of them were not as good but that's okay (laughs) because we got this episode out of it (laughs) so true anyways Emily uh, my favorite episode of Star Wars TV is The Axe Forgets. Oof. Um, I, it's honestly kind of hard for me to put it into words, like, why I think this is just honestly one of the best pieces of Star Wars storytelling. Uh, but I think, like, starting from, like, seeing hints once again at how observant Cassian is and why that makes him such a good spy with the um with him observing the rebels to you know learning about more about his background with his conversation with Skeen um once again contains one of the best some of the best lines in Star Wars come again from this episode uh the axe forgets but the tree remembers it's our turn to do the chopping Nemec's the, the pace of oppression outstrips our ability to understand it um just so good i love the dynamic between the aldani rebels so much um once again i am a skeen defender uh i i don't think fully he was lying about the Pevertree farm i think that was just his farm and he made up his brother and that that's what he wished that what he had done basically um but and then learning about Gorin's backstory, because I love Gorin so much, and then seeing him <laughs> undercover in the Empire and, like, setting up the heist, 
but then also having this moment where like it becomes really hard for him to continue to play the part as he listens to that guy talk about the Aldani people and like knowing that Gorn feels such a personal attachment to them um and I also love Cyril's pathetic unemployed era. I think that it's just so fun to watch, honestly. Like seeing him just like pathetic in his mom's house, like he's such a loser. Ver- literally on the verge of tears. It's fun to me. Um, and I also think this is uh I believe that this is the first introduction of Lita. And seeing Mon Mothma's home like that and to see that, like, she does not have an ally on the inside. And, like, especially when you compare that to, like, Bale and the fact that, like, he has Brea and he even has his own daughter that he can eventually trust. And Mon Mothma truly, like, does not have that in her own home. And, yeah, it's just, it's uh, so good. I love it so much. Um yeah, that's all I could say about it. It's probably one of my, it's probably my most rewatch uh, TV episodes of Star Wars ever. I will just throw it on and just watch that because I love it. Hayden. My top episode of Star Wars television is One Way Out. I don't think I have anything else to say other than what has already been said. But again, some of the best television of 2023 and some of the best monologues in Star Wars, the speeches, monologues, whatever you want to call them. That entire episode was such a whirlwind of emotions and it kept you hooked every single second. And just, I, I, I literally, I, I can't say more than what has already been said, but yeah, one way out. Love you, Kino Loy. And love you, Andor. Anyway, okay. Now, this is my time. Five favorite songs from all of Star Wars. That means Bad Batch, Clone Wars, uh, prequels, sequels, originals, anthologies. Let's go. Liv, top five favorite. Okay. Should we just, like, list all five? Or... Yeah. yeah I, I, was... I, don't have, I don't have much to say on yeah. mine except for I like them. <laughs> Yeah, I so have, Hayden's have going a last, to so she can yeah. she can expand. <laughs> um, so I'll go number five, Ray's theme. Number mm-hmm. four, Princess Leia's theme, because it it does make me cry every time though. Um, yeah. Three, reminiscence therapy from Solo. Yeah. <laughs> Two is Luke and Leia. And number one, to absolutely no one's surprise is Lando's closet. So true. <laughs> Emily? Uh, number five, race theme. Like Liv, I just think it's sweet. Uh, uh, four, B2. I just think it's so funky. It's so funky. <laughs> uh, number three, I don't know, but like just like the Andor theme, I know it changes a little bit each episode, but like just generally, I really yeah. love that piece. Uh, Number two is Cyril Sweet. Once again, I just think it's funky and fun. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then uh, number one is Jenner, so I hope sweet. It will always delicious. Make me cry. Yeah. All right. So mine. <sighs> okay. 
So number five, the scavenger, but specifically the version of the scavenger that plays in the movie, which it's a little bit different from the version on Spotify. It doesn't have like that horn sequence in the beginning, but it still like plays throughout the scene when Ray is in the belly of the Star Destroyer getting the part. I don't remember what it is. It's just a really good piece of music. And I, I love it. It, it really sets the tone of, of Jakku and who Ray is. Number four, Luke and Leia. When I tell you I was waiting outside of the theater to, for the 40th anniversary screening and I heard it playing in the credits, I had to try so hard to not cry in front of the two strangers that were in front of me also <laughs> waiting to get into the theater. There's just... And the, the version that's on Spotify, specifically from the, the remastered score, is not in the movie. But the version specifically on Spotify is just, it, it's everything to me. Now, number three is a tie between Lando's Closet, which is Liv's first, and then Reminiscence Therapy, which is also her third. Because Lando's <laughs> Closet, it's, but also the version of Lando's closet that is specifically in the movie again not the versions on either of the soundtracks which makes me mad because the deluxe soundtrack is supposed to be the the music that's like directly from the movie but you can't get the version that's in the movie on any of the soundtracks anywhere but anyway and reminiscence therapy is a really good use of the iconic themes from the original trilogy not really restructured but like recontextualized and that moment when you have the, when, <laughs> when Chewie is like fixing the Falcon and then Akira says, get in. And then you hear like the, the opening theme for the first time. So good. Dun, 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 God. I, I love the solo score so fucking much. It's my favorite score in all of Star Wars. Um, I don't know if you knew that, but anyway, <laughs> number two, Corellia Chase. There is just something about that piece that drives me insane. Whenever, <laughs> when I'm listening to it in the car, I have to like turn it down because otherwise I will have it like blasting to the point where I can't even hear myself yell. And I will in fact be speeding at like a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be admitting to that, but it, it's what happens. <laughs> and then I think number one, this is going to be interesting but it's going to be Parting Ways, which is the song that plays after um, the red guy shows up and it's Han leaving Kara on the beach. But not just, let me explain why. So in the getaway car. So true. In the beginning of the of the movie, there's a piece of music called Meet Han. And it's like the da-da-da with the harp in the background. And it's him going through Corellia. That same music plays at the end when Kira's flying away, but then it goes, it like is re, and then the the theme, Han and, Han and Kira's theme is woven into the song, which makes me cry every single time. And then after that, there's the song where it's like the, but it's like really slow and it's just the horn at first. And then the rest of the orchestra comes in when Han is coming back to, the, the tent on Savarine and he's coming back to meet Emphis Nest. Just that whole sequence. I cry every single time. Anyway, next is our three favorite books, which I feel like are going to be <laughs> pretty easy to clock. Liv, 
top three books. My number three is Most Wanted by Ray Carson. So um, true. Oh my god, that's mine too. <laughs> oh my god, slay. Um, especially after rereading it recently and taking the rest of Kira's character arc into consideration, it hurts a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. Which I can explain it on here because I know you three will get it, but I don't know many other people who have read Most Wanted, so it's kind of hard to explain otherwise. But um, the way that the engineer is just Kira in the comics yeah. fucks me yeah. up. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. like, in Most Wanted, Kira turns down the engineer because she sees how she just uses all of her employees as objects. She doesn't see them as people. She just sees them as tools, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why she says no to the job offer because she doesn't want, she just like, she thinks that she shitty. doesn't want to become and, that. And Han shows her the opposite where he always sees people as people. And he always yeah. treats them with respect. And so she sees that and she compares it to the engineer and goes, well, obviously Han's way is better. But then when you flash forward to Hidden Empire, like there's literally a line after Chanath Cha and the orphans die and she doesn't send them back up where she's like, oh, Chanath Cha thought she was the, the main character in her story, but she was just... She was just a, a character in mine. That's the yeah. same shit. That's the same shit as the engineer was doing. And I feel like yeah. that's why ultimately she failed. Yeah. Because she didn't have any genuine connections, connections. with anyone else besides yeah. herself. But um, yeah. Most Wanted is really good, though. I think everyone Please should read it. Read, read it. Give it a chance. Um, it gives us Sulo. He's a silly little Rodian. He's really cute. Don't get attached. Ray really um, nails the Alden Hahn voice too. Oh yeah, yeah. It's crazy the way he constantly mispronounces Droid Gatra. So is the funny. funniest running joke ever. <laughs> yeah, until he's like actually serious and he pronounces it correctly, and Kira's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> Um, I kept texting yeah. you when I was reading it. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, but yeah, more people should read Most Wanted, even though Please. it's like impossible to find now. But it's fine. I, I'm yeah, so it's lucky. Just I like found Rebel a copy. Rising. Yeah, it's really hard to find. Though the best was um, we talked about it on <laughs> the solo panel, and someone on Twitter told us that they spent the day trying to find Most Wanted on the con floor. No luck because I was yeah. looking for it too because the UK <laughs> cover is so pretty. But no, they didn't have it. But um Godspeed to you looking for the most wanted for to read it. I hope you yeah. do. But yeah. Anyways, Emily. Uh my number three is the princess and the scoundrel. Um yeah. Padawan is like honestly really close, which is kind of surprising, but uh I just I love this book so much I like that it is partially just straight up romance but I also just love the exploration 
of Leia and Han's character. And I really appreciate how Beth Revis gives them each time to feel their trauma uh, with Han. Like he actually gets to reflect on like Kira and what it meant for him to lose a year of his life just being in Carbonite. And for Leia, she gets to reflect on what it means to have this big moment in your life and not have your parents with you and not have the two people that she wants there more than anything. And also to let Leia be fucking angry about Vader. Yes. There's Mm -hmm. nothing more that I, there's, I appreciate so much how Beth did not she didn't dance around it. She didn't try to do uh well, actually thing. She just let her be angry. She let her say, you are not my father. My father gets to be Stardust and you are ash on this planet. You are nothing. And like, it just beautiful. And it's, I, I just think it's like, you really see, I, in my opinion, I think Beth Revis really lets us see the Bale and Brea in yeah in Leia. Mm-hmm. in Leia um and the scene when they're at the wedding and she can like feel the sword going under her hip and she could feel her I'm gonna start crying <laughs> like literally start crying yeah um, and also and the moments between Mon Mothma and Leia now especially oh. knowing that Mon Mothma herself has a daughter um and like that's so and like knowing that like she's not she wouldn't be that much like older or younger than Leia um just really really good and really funny um and I also love to see like how like Han is like uh that moment where Han is gonna like put the guy in jail because he threatens to kidnap Leia and like she doesn't need his protection but like he is going to to protect her anyway because like that is his girl yeah Um, (laughs) Yeah, and then also, like, the moments of Leia using the Force, um, but also just seeing her, like, so fully in her own as, like, a leader of the Rebellion and, like, leading into, like, her, like, being Senator. It's it's perfect. It's everything that I would have wanted out of, like, a Han and Leia post-Return of the Jedi book. Um, Beth yeah. Revis, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so... My third book, I will give an honorable mention to Princess and the Scoundrel, but then when I remember, I, I it was going to be my number three, but then I remembered Most Wanted, so I bumped it down. So yes, I will give an honorable mention to Princess and the Scoundrel because that book changed my brain chemistry, but my third book is going to be Most Wanted too. I was not expecting to like the book that much, and I put it, I put off reading it for months because every single page I had, I like saw I that was a Han POV. I had to like stop and <laughs> like process it for a second. <laughs> but what once I got into it and I started reading it again, it's it's such a good character study of Han and Kira. And most wanted actually got me to like Kira a lot. Like, of course I liked her because she was in solo and whatnot, but to see like into her mind and to go into her decision-making process and to see that she's always looking for a way out. Um and like seeing everything that that happens to her and how it pushes her closer to Han and then it leads into Solo and whatever. I It's a really good book and it's one of the most underrated, I think, Star Wars books out there. But anyway, yes. I, I can't say anything else um, that hasn't been said already. So 
Number two, live. Go ahead. Uh, my number two is Leia, Princess of Alderaan, which I have been meaning to reread for some time now because this was the literal first Star Wars book I ever read back in, I want to say like 2018. Dance. Yeah. So I, I've been meaning to reread it, but I just remember how well Claudia Gray writes Leia and a young Leia at that. And mm-hmm. just <sighs> getting to know more about Alderaan and Bale and Brea and of course the infamous dinner scene <laughs> with yes. Brea and Mon. Um Iconic. Which is even funnier when you consider that Mon is married. So now it's like, it has like the double yeah. meaning of and like there's layers. Of, yeah. It's, it's just so good. And getting to see Leia, like she had kind of a boyfriend before Han. And I <laughs> love Brea's line where she was like, oh. I just wish my daughter went with, went out with some scoundrel or something before <laughs> before settling down. And then you're just like, ooh, that's funny. <laughs> but also not because Brea never got to meet Han, but it's fine. But she um, would have loved Han. <laughs> she would have loved Han. But like, I just, I feel like I don't talk about him enough, but Bail Organa is in like my top 10 favorite characters. I, I love that man so much, so much. So getting to get more of him in this book was fantastic. And what really like cemented my love for him back in ye old 2018. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Emily. Uh, my number two is Midnight Horizon. Uh, so I think true. I had to the High Republic book because I <laughs> love the High Republic a lot, but this is by far my favorite book. Um, I think the conclusion thus, I think the conclusion of Reese Padawan journey is fantastic. I like literally cried reading, just thinking about how far Wreath had come since Into the Dark. Um, but also the Cantum Psy stuff in this book was fantastic. I loved getting to see all that, like what happens when you leave the Jedi Order, but then you come back. Uh, Komak, I will still cry thinking about him, but the moment when he, when he, when they feel Starlight Beacon and he says, I have to go for her. And then he tries to correct himself to them, but you know, he really just needs Orla. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, I think that Ram is also, Ram and Zed are also just so fun in this book and also devastating because of what the Lula thing, um. Free comic book day, you can't let me down. (laughs) (laughs) And I also think that, um, Crash is, is just really fun. And I love the solo connections in this I think it's so fun how it's very clear how like uh DJ I mean he wrote like in the solo verse before <laughs> but like uh the fact that like you have um the Lassat who would become like oh, hello hello 
<laughs> and and Lady Proxima and just like the all tag that name stuff. Drop. It's the tag name drop. Yeah, like it's so so good. Um, and I think it's a really strong conclusion to phase one. Uh yeah. And, and I cannot wait um to see what phase three brings for a lot of these characters. I'm really excited. Um but yeah, I, I just absolutely loved it. Hate it. Similarly to Liv, my top two, my second favorite Star Wars book is Resistance Reborn. Because I think it was, I think it was the second Star Wars book I ever read because it had Poe on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> my first Star Wars book I ever read was Light of the Jedi, which was an interesting experience. When it, because I read it when it first came out in January of 2021. And then when I went back and I was like, oh, I'm going to start reading these Star Wars books because I'm like really getting into it now. I think I read Chaos Rising and then I reread Light of the Jedi. Or no, it, it might have been my third Star Wars book, but. I read Chaos Rising, reread Light of the Jedi because I realized that there were other High Republic or other books in that time era out. And then I read Resistance Reborn. And having read the comics, I understood most of it, but I didn't understand like the Wedge and Nora stuff. Or like, I think there's a Princess of Alderaan connection in there somewhere. One of the prisoners or like one of the people. Uh, bloodline. Bloodline. That's what it was. Um, other Leia adjacent yeah, big media. Bloodline connection. Yeah. <laughs> But like stuff like that is in there. So I think I've been meaning to reread it just because I've been getting into like the aftermath trilogy and stuff like that. But I'm I think I'm gonna hold off on rereading it until I read Bloodline and I finish the aftermath trilogy. Just so because I've I've reread the Poe comics a bunch of times. I know about all those characters. Also, the Battlefront 2 connection, I also knew what that what that was happening because I had played Battlefront 2 a couple months prior. But like the characters themselves with the seat, like the sequels characters themselves are really, really strong in this book, especially Finn mm -hmm. and Poe. Like, the Finn-Poe-Bowtie or tie-tying scene, like, uh, I know what you are. <laughs> but anyway, still from, from all the Star Wars books I've read, from all the comics I've read, Res Resistance Reborn still continues to be my second favorite Star Wars books, second only to the book that I will get into later. So Liv, favorite Star Wars book, go. My favorite Star Wars book is the solo novelization. Oh my god, um, no way! <laughs> I know, it's such a surprise. Uh, it's like, I've never talked about this book ever before. <laughs> um, I I mean it when I say, if you just like Solo, like, just on a surface level, read this book. It will literally change your life. <laughs> that will change. Mm -hmm. yeah. You will be like, oh my god, Solo is actually amazing. Uh, which it is, but you know, yeah. uh, it just, it expands so much. It gives Kira like a concrete backstory mm -hmm. and makes you understand her motive so much more. Like, yeah, the way that Han is written is perfect. Oh. We get a very dramatic scene about Lando <laughs> talking about his capes. And then Chewie using up all of his fancy hair products in the shower and leaving it a mess. <laughs> this book has it all. It truly has it all. Oh, true. I, I, 
never tire of talking about this book. No, this book literally has it all because it has a gin and saw appearance. No, it's true. Yeah. Like out of fucking nowhere. I was like, what? What? should have actually, (laughs) I actually firmly believe that should have been in the movie. That should have been like tied Rogue One and Solo together so perfectly. Yeah. If if this was the MCU, that should have been the post credit scene. (laughs) You know, and I I, I believe, and I don't even think it should. I think it should have been the post credit scene just anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so read the solo novelization, please. I beg, I beg you, I beg you. It will literally change how you see Solo. I have like proof like my one friend was ambivalent about solo and then i lent him my copy of the novelization and now he likes it like it it really does it really expands your horizons about solo if you will Mm -hmm. so anyways emily your favorite book uh it's gonna be I didn't include the Rogue One novelization because I didn't. I wanted to keep it just to like the like the books and not like valid adaptations. <laughs> but I I kind of echo basically everything that Liv said about the solo one, just with Rogue One. Like mm-hmm. it will change your life. I sobbed so hard. I got I had a headache. I like got Real? dehydrated. Um, That's me with Dark Disciple. That was me it's with the solo so novelization. Yeah, it's. It's so, so good. Um, but my number one surprising no one is Rebel Rising wow. by Beth Revis. Um, I love Beth Revis, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> but uh, this book, I one, I have gotten so many people to read this. And literally no one that has read it has been disappointed by it. Everyone that has read it has told me, oh, that was so good. Even like, like Mac, who is not really like, necessarily like a rogue one girly like it's one of her favorite star wars (laughs) books um it it will change your opinion on jenner's character if you like her it will make you love her even more and if you are maybe on the fence on her it will make you love her um this is the best depiction of saw guerrera in star wars currently just uh beautifully balances the sort of rebel leader and like yes his paranoia and maybe and his flaws while also showing how kind and caring he can be and how much of a father figure that he was to to Jin um it is it's such a good foil for for Andor especially when you see like Cassian and Vix and then Jin and Hater like it just perfectly balances um it just, I, I, I love it so, so much. I think about it constantly. I wasn't going to tell everyone to read it. It was the first Star Wars book I ever read. And uh, it just, it will always hold um, a special place in my heart. I have a copy of it that is all tabbed up and, and <laughs> marked up from it. Um, and I went through like three packs of like tabs <laughs> to do it um that's me reading the solo novelization (laughs) yeah (laughs) I yeah there's nothing that I can't say that is just um so glowingly positive but it's also so 
devastating um, because it really shows how hard Chianerso's life was, but I think really puts into context like why she is the way she is in Rogue One and why she is so hesitant to join the rebellion. Um, read it, please. Hayden. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. Anyway. Anyway. Hayden, you're number one. <laughs> If I had a nickel for every time the solo novelization was our favorite book on this podcast, I would have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that I have it twice, right? Um, It's in my top 10. Valid. So the solo novelization, I put off reading it for a long time, similarly to Most Wanted, because I knew that it would absolutely wreck me. And every single POV I have of Han in that book, like I needed several moments. Like I... I have a weird way of tabbing where like if there's just something I like, I'll just put a sticky tab on the page and like won't stress it. It's stressing <laughs> yeah. I won't like say or whatever. Um, I won't say exactly what I liked about it or like that I noticed about it. This, I think every single page of my solo novelization has a tab on it. Like it's bad. But the way that it character it not characterizes but it gives a voice to han's thoughts and it gives a voice to kira's thoughts and i will say the fact that there's a valence reference and it does bump it up several points above everything else but the book itself and how it goes through the character's thought processes like in when kira leaves han you can see both of what they're thinking you can see there's a flashback to Kira's past when she was um, when she first got sold to Crimson Dawn, and she um, did she get sold to the Silo again? I forget. No, uh, Silo is just for children. Uh, she okay. was sold to some random guy. Some his last name is Eneb. I can't remember his first name though. Okay, but so and then was... she was sold. Okay, so yeah, it gives a flashback to to Kira's past. Um, it gives us. The L3 and Lando stuff, I think, is what really surprised me as, as like, something I, like, really liked and, like, teared up. I, similarly to Emily, I cried a lot when I, <laughs> when I read this book. But the, the way that it, like, the way that it puts into words the events of the movie and what the characters are thinking is literally unmatched maybe by the solo novelization which i haven't read but i know just from what other people have said and from what i've heard and like the excerpts that that i've read it truly liv said this before if you like solo even a smidgen a tiny tiny bit the novelization will make you obsessed with it because you can just because of everything that we've said but yeah to no one's surprise, the solo novelization is my favorite Star Wars book. I debated putting it on my list just because, like, oh, it's a novelization. It's not really a book. It It's a whole other beast, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. there's. I, I feel like there's enough additional stuff yeah. that isn't in the movie that yeah. it, it it's classified Both? as its own little thing. Mm-hmm. Both the Rogue One and the solo novelizations have a ton of extra, like, material. Especially for... Yeah not like the main characters like there's mm-hmm. a lot of like Bodhi and Bodhi stuff in the oh really uh, mm-hmm. that makes me want to read it now 
I'm not gonna lie. He's my he's my little sweet cheese, my little and, dude. Yeah, you also, find out about um like a kiss that he had, and they never specify the gender. So Ooh. queer Bodhi for real. Yes. <laughs> Bodhi Rock. Something I forgot to mention about why I love the solo novelization is that it canonically establishes. Okay, so there's the deleted scenes of Solo, and one of them is called Han Solo Imperial Cadet, which, if you know anything about this podcast, is a mini series that goes into Han's at least the first month of Han's time in the Imperial Navy uh, at the Imperial Academy on Corita. But it canonically establishes one of the characters from. Uh, from Imperial Cadet Litton, Litton Dree, who's one of the twins, that Tamu gets shipped off into the Imperial um, medic program, and then Litton stays in the Navy until he gets shot down and blown up in the TIE Fighter comic, the miniseries by Jody Hauser. But it canonically establishes Litton as Onyx 2, as in, like, in the, the adaptation, it's the... So those scenes are technically canon because they, they're in the adaptation, but it establishes Litton as Onyx 2, the person that Han was saving, which is a direct callback to Imperial Cadet and how Han got in trouble with the Imperial Navy in the first place. So absolutely love it. I can't recommend it enough. Now. So true. Comics. I think we could just rapid fire these because so I'm I pretty sure mine even yeah. quicker. Uh the Poe comics, I love Jess Pava, but I can't really consider it a favorite favorite because I never finished the last volume because I could not get past the art style and the creepy teeth. Um, so true. <laughs> Trail of Shadows. Uh, I think that it's one of my favorite pieces of High Republic media. I love Emmerich and Cyan. I think it's such a cool uh, way that like a lot of the High Republic feels like kind of the same genre, but this is like an investigative like drama. And I love that they played with genre in that. Like, I think it's so cool. Daniel Jose Older does a, such a good job. I think he's a really good comic writer in particular. Mm-hmm. And then um, my number one is the Rogue One comic. Um, I don't think that it ha- holds the same like emotional weight as the movie or the um book however it has panels of Jin and saw through the years so it gets points uh because that's mm-hmm. it's literally like the only it's like one of the only places that you can actually find pictures of Jin and saw like canonically there's so. the one panel of saw like giving the giving her the yeah, hand okay and walking that away. Was what I, I was thinking more too of the one uh where he's like teaching her how to shoot and like <laughs> carrying her on um lamu oh that's cute baby um mine rapid fire because i feel like i don't have to explain myself with these because <laughs> hey and i just never shut up about comics yeah um, <laughs> Number three is Dr. Afro 2020. I so love true. I love gay people. Two. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> is two is the, the Kira trilogy for reasons that I do not need to go into because I have exhausted the point. Number one, Bounty Hunters 2020. Ethan Sachs, you are the greatest, but also my worst enemy. And this podcast supports you. 
So true. In all your endeavors. <laughs> Except in your Valence killing endeavors. And Zuckus do not support turning. that. Yeah, don't stop hitting Zuckus. <laughs> Please. Anyways. Hayden. Surprising absolutely no one. <laughs> uh, third place is going to be Target Vader. Second place is going to be Han Solo Imperial Cadet. And first place is, of course, the Poe comics. Bounty Hunters. Oh, no. Oh, Bounty Hunters. <laughs> no Poe comics? Poe comics I gave an honorable mention to just because okay. the art knocks it down several notches. Like, let's yeah, be real. The art in that last one is real oh, rough. <laughs> is rough. But I did, in fact, have a breakdown when I read the first, when I read the last issue for the first time. But anyway, I, <laughs> I don't think I need to say anything else about why Bounty Hunters is my favorite. Uh, you can listen to our go, several... go back through these episodes and just skip yeah. the book club. We have yeah. we have 32 other episodes <laughs> explaining why we love bounty hunters pretty much. Yeah. So. Uh but yeah, the that's my top three. Hansel Imperial Cadet is probably again one of the most underrated comic book series that Star mm-hmm. Wars has put out in canon. And everybody should read it, not only because of balance, because I talked about this. People timed it. At the solo panel, they timed the amount, like they timed the amount of time until I made the first balance reference and I held myself back. We got 40 minutes in before we talked about balance, but it was in the context of Imperial Cadet. Because Imperial balance, Cadet is very good. It's a, a balance is an important part of Han's story and vice versa for reasons that are not yet canon, but. Well, they are canon, but there are certain aspects that are not canon. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you for the clarification. Thank you. They're both very, they're both important to their journeys. And Han was really important in Valance's journey of realizing that the, that the Empire does not care about him. They don't care that he feels like he needs to pay them back for saving his planet. They don't feel like they, or he, he doesn't realize that. Um, he is basically just a number to them. And Valis was very important in Han's journey because it shows him that even though they butted heads and they were just <laughs> like, let's be honest, at first they hated each other, but they still need to be saved. And you never leave a man of your team behind. But yeah, that's a little bit about Imperial Cadet. Bounty Hunters, I don't even need to say anything. You can listen to our Ethan episode. You can listen to probably most of the other episodes on why I love Bounty Hunters so much. But yeah, and I think that's all of our favorite Star Wars things. Yay. Because we've said our movies, and also we're going to reveal our movie rankings after we've uh, rewatched all of them in our series, so... Now we're going to move into Kessel Run Book Club. And this week we had some interesting entries into the Star Wars comics canon. The first of which is Darth Vader, Black, White, and Red. So the Black, White, and Red kind of concept is, it started with the original like Marvel titles, like Moon Knight has one, I think Elektra has one, Daredevil might have one, um... But yeah, the whole concept is that the coloring is only in black, white, and red. And halftones, which has been kind of been phased out of modern day comics, and it's always a nice treat when you see them. But halftones really come into use here because they're how you make the grays and how you do the shading and stuff like that. 
But yeah, the only coloring in the series is black, white, and red. And I think the the Marvel titles were called Black, White, and Blood, but the Star Wars, at least the ones that we know of so far for Vader, is Black, White, and Red. So yeah, that's the whole shtick. And basically, it's an anthology series where I think it's going to be four issues, but four or three authors, yeah, three authors band together with an artist, and they create a short, like, one-shot spread out across four issues. So, like, the we had Jason Aaron with um with Leonard Kirk they did the first issue uh Peach Momoko wrote and did the art for the second uh story in the issue and then Torin Gronbeck and I forget I forget who the artist is for that one but Torin did the Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor series that came out last year that was a fan favorite but she did the last story that the first part was published in this first issue so Liv why don't you have your thoughts on it I actually really enjoyed it and I'm not a Vader gal like as we've talked we we have talked (laughs) about opinions about (laughs) Vader 2020 on this podcast before so I didn't really have any expectations for this issue um but I thought it was really cool and I liked seeing all the different stories like I I I find that very interesting. And I like that Peach Momoko's didn't have any words. Yeah. That was really part of the visual storytelling. Because her her art is so expressive. Like evocative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That it it didn't even need words. But it's it's beautiful. But I really liked (laughs) it. And I'm actually looking forward to the the second issue which i thought this was just a one shot so me too i didn't <laughs> so realize that it was like, gonna be like second issue out then i'm like oh okay cool <laughs> as someone who's read the other vader comics and has a grasp of what vader stories are besides vader 2020 to me i thought this issue was an interesting concept and i really enjoyed what i read i loved balance 2.0 in yes. sin He's like literally he's balance 2.0. But anyway, he's the twink version of balance. Yeah. Whereas balance <laughs> is still sin is twink. Um but as someone who's read most of the other Vader stories available at least in canon, I I don't really understand why we need another Vader series, although I like the concept of using the anthology and the kind of black white and blood uh, concept to do these stories I don't understand why we need another one but all in all I enjoyed reading it I think Peach Momoko finally doing some Star Wars stuff and doing her own writing I think her her writing debut was with Demon Days when she wrote and did the own art for that I think it was like an X-Men event but her Star Wars debut in writing and doing the art for it after doing like these stunning covers that we've seen for all these money months like the women's history covers uh, the higher public covers with Keeve and and Avar, Maddie, stuff like that. It's really nice to see her introduced to the you know being a part to or being able to contribute to the galaxy that she's been doing these wonderful covers for for these past couple years. And I think it's also really nice that we get Torin Gronbeck because she is a writer who was known for her work with, you know, Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor. So it's just really nice to see her be able to contribute to, again, the Star Wars universe in this capacity. Now, Jason Aaron, 
Jason Aaron was the first writer for Star Wars 2020. And I think it went from Jason Aaron to, I forget if it was Kieran Gillen or Cy Spurrier. I might be mixing it up with Afra. I think it was Kieran Gillen. And then to Greg Pak for the next, like, for the last five issues. But Jason Aaron is the person who was able to restart Marvel's hold on the Star Wars license. And all the way back in 2015, when the, fir- when the, um, when the first canon comics came out, he was the person who jumpstarted all of that. So I think it's really nice for him to be able to contribute to the galaxy again, but in this kind of new format, similar to how he brought back in the, he brought back the canon comics. But Leonard Kirk, he is the guy that did Imperial Cadet. And that is not what it, that is what I could not stop thinking about the entire time. But granted, he also did the, the Hux one shot for Age of Resistance, which included him licking mysterious liquid up off the floor. <sighs> but yeah, I think editorially it's a really nice concept, but like execution-wise, I don't I don't really understand why we need it. I I enjoyed my time in the establishment though. So I'm gonna give it one thumb up. What do you think, Liv? I give it a thumb up too, but like yeah, good. I'd say diagonal thumb up. Oh, I give it a full thumb up. Slay. <laughs> okay. Now, a quest of the Jedi. We talked about it a little bit in our introduction. I think the funniest thing about this one shot is that it was it's just a one okay. Shot? Yeah. It's a one shot. I thought. No. Nope. It's a one-shot. The funniest thing about it is that it was just okay. It was fine. It was fine. There was no new information given. Maybe, like, I think think it was the origin of the Rod of Caesar. Like, that origin was pretty cool. But other than that... Yeah, because they had to to split up... Yeah, they had to separate them. ...the crystal or whatever. And that's why we get the Rod of Seasons and the Rod of Daybreak. Yeah, or daylight or whatever it's called. The, I can't the day, <laughs> yeah, the day rod. Um, it did also give us uh, a new sexy evil woman to add to my so list. So true. Um, even though she's not actually evil, but it's fine. She still counts. <laughs> but yeah, the whole the funniest thing about it all is that it was just fine. <laughs> it was okay. I think this is Claudia Gray's writing debut, and I wish they had given her more opportunity or like a mini series instead of a one shot to explore how she would sequentialize those stories. But I mean, I think she did a good job with what she was given. I, the continuity thing, that's not her fault. That's Lucasfilm's fault. Yeah. They should have caught that. They should have caught that because it's also been in production. It's also such a simple thing. Yeah, like, it's the first book in the face, guys. Yeah, <laughs> like you waited until the day before it came out to say, "Whoops, we Whoopsies. messed up." <laughs> but anyway, I I give this one one thumb up as well. I give it a, a sideways thumb up. I was gonna give it a sideways thumb up, but yeah, I because it agree was just that. fine. It was okay, I, and, and like the Padawan. I can't remember her name, but she just nope. felt the exact same as Maddie. Exactly. And we, no, we already have Maddie. Yeah, <laughs> she was literally like 
Maddie's twin. Yeah. Like personality. She was a Twi'lek as well. Like same, same personality. personality. Like weren't they even similar? No, they were different colors. Yeah. But like it was just I don't Maddie. know. It was just Maddie. And we already have Maddie and we already love Maddie. So we don't need another Maddie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So comics this week. Um, I'd say a three. They were five. fine. Yeah, they were okay. They weren't my favorite. They weren't the ongoings. But Which we get a fuck ton of next week. Nine issues. Can you believe that? I don't want to. That's so much money. <laughs> I know, but at least one of them is free. True. Which that that's going to be a big one. I feel like the next time we record, I can't even read it because I have to. I have to catch <laughs> up. <laughs> well, I'm going to grab it and be like, mm, "Can't wait to read this in three months." <laughs> <sighs> but anyway, that's it for the comics this week. There were only two. So, Em, do you have an update to your books or in the F1 romance saga? You were done though, right? Yeah, I was yeah. done. Lila uh, is reading them now, though. Uh, <laughs> so uh, they've been texting me updates about it. Um, so that's been really fun. Um, I finished that historical romance I was reading. I gave it like a 3.25. It was good. I, I really like the author, Tessa Darius, writing, um, but the characters just weren't as good for uh to me uh they did not have sex inside once the entire book not oh once God. uh this tragedy was a 14 year old in the village gets their foot blown off by a cannon the female protagonist dad is creating <laughs> and then she like because like her dad was by the cannon so she like grabbed him and she fell on a rock and that broke her ribs <laughs> And that caused her to have internal bleeding. Oh <laughs> so they had to fix that. And then she like, they like cut, like, you know, they did the like uh, thing. And then she like laid in bed for days with a fever. That's always <laughs> it. And then they like lay by their bedside, like, oh God, I hope they wake up. Who knows? Cause it's the 1800s. Um, <laughs> I was going to say like, like, how do you fix internal bleeding in the 1800s? Yeah. Like, it, it was like, it was like, um, you know, when you're like chest, like, has bleeding and you just like cut a hole and it just comes out no i did they do that they do that that on gray's anatomy all the time that's why i I was like okay i I can't i I don't think they're supposed to do that (laughs) no they are it's just like if there's like blood in your chest like it needs to get out so they just like cut it open and it comes out okay (laughs) and that it like relieves the pressure on your lungs so you can breathe again okay (laughs) I'll take your word for it. I can't yeah. stomach any medical dramas or anything uh, like that. So, and then I'm currently reading. I was at the library the other week, and I was like, "Oh, this is a series that I read when I was like a kid, and I don't remember, but I remember liking it." So I'll like finally, and I don't think I ever finished it. And I, I honest to God, don't think I ever read this first book. I think I might have only read the to the second and the third book and I just read those like over and over again um but it's the Gallagher girls series it's a spy it's like a group it's like a private spy school like all girls spy school um interesting so it's kind of fun 
And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a fun, fast read. I'm going to, I have like, I'm like halfway through. I'm going to try to finish it before I go on my trip so I can read um, the newest Emily Henry book uh, that came out last week on the plane. But I'm, I'm enjoying this so far. It's very fun. And I'll probably, like I said, I'll read the rest of the series and I'll probably go by very fast. Um, but yeah, and then hopefully finish the Emily Henry run fast so I can read Path of Deceit and I hope I can get Path of Deceit. <laughs> yeah, my my literacy was interesting this week. So I have not been able to read Battle Scars. I don't know why. It's just... Battle scars. Battle scars. <laughs> it's, I don't want to say the writing style is not clicking with me because I really like, like the 10 pages that I read. I really liked Sam Maggs's style. I think it's the fact that I had Path of Vengeance looming over me that I was like, <laughs> I need to preserve my literacy. So I decided to <laughs> not DNF, but like step away from uh, Battle it's Scars. Just- it's just sometimes it's just not the right time to read a book. Exactly. Like, you know how I have my moods where I, I read words and then I read pictures. I was in a picture yeah. reading mood. So I finished. Um, I can't remember. Did I finish? No, I finished reading uh, 2013 Star Wars where Luke is somehow still in love with Leia half the time. But anyway. So I decided I needed a change of scene, literally. And I decided to start reading I decided to pick back up where I left uh, Daredevil Volume One from nineteen from the sixties, where Stanley did the art and um, not Jack Kirby, but uh, what was the other guy? Wally Wood and John Romita. John Romita, they did the art for that. And then I decided I need a break from my break in when I was reading Daredevil because I don't know if you know anything about uh, Silver Age comics, but they're basically like two or three. Um, like modern day comics in one comic because it's they tell you and they don't really show you just because it's a lot more descriptive and they came out less often and they had less series running so they had to like cram everything into (laughs) into one issue so it's a lot of like it's a lot of yeah it's a lot of words and a lot of the characters telling the reader what's happening which I mean for 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 a medium like comics that was still getting its you know it, it was still hitting the ground and still finding its feet at the time it's it it it's bound to happen right but it's so like word heavy and just heavy that i needed a break from my break so i read the entirety of hawkeye 2012 by David, by Matt Fraction and David Asia, and that is the um, the basis for the Hawkeye show that came out in 2021. Which now, after reading it, loose I don't like it. Loose yeah. basis. But yeah, they basically copied David Asia's style for the show and have not given him a penny. So pay Matt Fraction and David fair. Asia. Yeah, yeah, pay Matt Fraction and David Asia what they deserve for basically inspiring the entire show even if they yep. did the, the series badly. But anyway, I really enjoyed the series. It's popular for a reason. It's not overrated in any way. It's popular for a reason. Uh, and then after this, I ordered Path of Vengeance and it's going to get here on Tuesday. So by the time this episode comes out, I'll have probably already started it. But I'm I'm hyped for Path of, for Path of Vengeance. I'm so mad I didn't get it at, at Celebration. I've been kicking myself ever since because I finished Cataclysm on the plane and I was like, oh, 
<laughs> I can't read Path of Venice for basically another month. But yeah, I'm getting it this week. We're going to start getting into it, and I can finally read everyone's spoilers. So Liv, do you have any literacy updates? Um, Not really, but I did go over to the States yesterday, a.k.a. the land of cheap books. Um, <laughs> and I did, I did happen to pick up a book. Which is <gasps> yeah, oh convergence. So live in the high because, republic era. Okay, listen, just That's for true. reference, because I went to Target, so they always have that like thirty percent off. Twenty yeah. yeah. So this was like twenty one bucks or something like that. A hardcover adult novel in Canada. It's like thirty six dollars. It's thirty nine dollars. So even with the uh, exchange rate, I was like, I might as well just get it here because yeah. it's, that's why I don't usually get the adult novels because <laughs> there's so, so much money. $40. That's almost insane. $40. And like timelines in Canada, I want timelines so bad, but they were sold out. I got, I, it. I got I it. I know you did. <laughs> but timelines in, in Canada is $66. <sighs> my god yeah so i will not be getting it anytime soon which makes me sad but like it's fine i'll get it next time i'm in the states (laughs) (laughs) also 100 objects is really cool if you want to take a look at that too it has gin stuff in it i know yeah it does it also has memic oh my god live and drink your high republic era i love this book that has mads on the cover so, so true. true. So true. <laughs> uh, That's my literacy update. <laughs> it counts. I haven't guys... actually read it, but I did purchase a book. So so valid. Yes. Do you guys have any final thoughts for our May the Fourth listeners? Star Wars, good. Yeah. So true. And I will add on to that. Star Wars Slay. Yes. Can't wait to watch uh, Mobs. So true. And Vision season two, because it actually looks really good. So I'm going to be real. Like it looks, all the art styles look really cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Also, the Star Wars for everybody. Yes. Yes. Anyway, um, anyway. thank you all for listening to this admittedly long <laughs> episode of us talking about our favorite Star Wars things for May the 4th. As for the the sticker interest form, I've been meaning to send it out, but I am quite busy in real life land. Uh, but again, that's where you can just tell us like which stickers you want, um, where they're going, stuff like that. So a very, a very merry May the 4th be with you to all who celebrate. Um, thank you guys for listening. Oh, you can always follow us on our socials. Our socials will be in the description. Email us. We love our silly little listener questions. We haven't had one in a while and I've I personally miss doing them. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. May the force be with you and may the fourth be with you.